To be the best there ever was. To beat all the rest, yeah, that's my cause. Electro Dingley, Nidor, and Maggie, with his own dad, a fear of bitches, seeking drunk and drank by Cassie. Only time for more, yeah, probably back, but I'm free. Catch him, catch him, gotta catch him all. Pokemon, I'll search across the land. Look far and wide, release from my hand. Three months. It took me three months, but finally, the Pokemon Adventures Retrospective has been fully edited. In this segment of the retrospective, Annalisa Crispin, letterer for Pokemon Adventures from Biz Media, and my friend Jonathan Lewis, an all-around Pokemon nerd, discuss every arc of Pokemon Adventures in order. That's right, all 13 arcs. <laughs> so you can imagine why this podcast ended up being three hours long, actually longer, in the raw recording, which is why it took me so long to edit this and like get it all down to like a listenable length. We also answered some Q&As that some good people over at the One Dream Adventure Reborn forums asked us. So thank you guys for that and look forward to listening to those uh, answers at the end of the podcast. As you might have guessed, editing this Pokemon Adventures retrospective has broken me. I have been inundated and driven insane by all the discussion of Pokemon that went on in this podcast. Having to listen to it over and over again over the course of last few months in the process of editing this podcast. It has broken me, it has warped my fragile little mind, and it has made me unable to think about anything but Pokemon. Hence why I am incessantly repeating the poker rap. Help me. 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 Please. It's downhill from here. Just 24 more to go. Now it gets tricky. So listen real good. Snapshot, Hidley, Psyduck, Akadai, Eevee, Executor, Kabuto, Zapdos, Dratini, Growler, Misman, Cubone, Graveler, Voltor, Gloomor, Gotta catch them all, Pokemon! Charmeleon! You're too tranquil, Arrow, Dactyl, Almanite, Slowbolt, Pidgeot, Arbok. That's all, folks! Catch him, catch him, gotta catch him all! Gotta catch him all, Pokemon! Enjoy the podcast! Pokemon! Okay, so now we'll go over each arc of the series in kind of order, and there's a dozen of them, so it took us a long time in our JoJo's upper section to cover all those, and those are only eight parts. Mm-hmm. But we'll try and uh, be as concise as possible and get through them all. These characters actually have arcs, unlike friggin' Araki, giving my boy Oakley Yasu. He's unfinished! <laughs> I love it, though. Anyway, let's go. Yeah, so the first arc of Pokemon Adventures, the red, blue, and green arc, the first three volumes of the series, and it's probably the simplest of the 
arts because it adds a little more story onto what's in the games and of course changes the characterization of a lot of the pre-existing gym leaders and all that in interesting ways but at its core it's uh, still one of the simpler stories it's like team rocket is still like bad guys are out for power and they need all the gym badges so that they can combine Sapdos, Moltres, and Articuno in this weird Chimera monster creature. Are they also making a Mewtwo, but it's not going too well. I totally want to play with that fusion thing in some game. That'd be cool. Honestly, I would not be surprised if Pokemon Fusion actually becomes a game mechanic in one of these days. I mean, they already so. still make evolution from Digimon. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite thing about Red, Green, and Blue is that at the time, the anime and the games were like the only thing people had to go off of, and I've heard some rumors or something that like um, Satoshi Tajiri was unhappy with how the anime was going, so he told the manga people to only use the games and his production materials as a basis, and it sets a very great precedent for the manga, because everything from the manga, outside of a few plot points that are obviously taken from the anime, but taken in a different light, like like the main characters getting frozen at, um, because Mewtwo's clashing with something else. There was, there was some other thing that was obviously from the anime that I can't remember. It was, it was very, very late, though, and it was from, like, the first season. Like, they take all their, all the Pokemon references are from the Pokédex itself. The author stated that he wanted to figure out how this ecology would work. Each Pokemon is like a little separate bio, has a very interesting biology. Some of the attacks, their animations are taken directly from the games. At one point, a character uses Hydro Pump, and instead of like, you know, being like a blast from a cannon or something, it's a, the animation from the games where like little spurts of water come out of the ground, and they're trying to capture Mew at this point, and Mew has to like weave between these, but it makes Mew easier to catch. And I thought that was so cool. Like, they're, they're expanding this very, very small universe. They've just been given this large, expansive playground to play around with. And at the point, Pokemon wasn't the big thing that it is now, so there wasn't as much, like, control over the brand. They just go ham. It's great. Yeah, one of the things I really love about Pokemon Adventures is that the mechanics are a lot closer to the games, and they also take a lot of inspiration from, like, the Pokedex entries and also things that happen in the games, like, to employ in, like, the battles and stuff and make them very creative. It's not always, it's not, like, 100% accurate to the games in terms of, like, how the battle system plays out. But it has a lot more rules than in the anime, where, you know, like, Ash's Pikachu can create, like, an electric armor over Swaylo <laughs> to defeat Caden Lisa's soul rock. The yeah, there's, there's not really any of, of that. It, it's all pretty logical following the, the logic of the games. It, it follows it pretty well. Not exact in all cases, but pretty dang close. And even when there's the small things that are wrong... They actually do have, like, good explanations. Like, at one point, Bulbasaur just shrugs off a water attack, and they say, grass types aren't affected by water attacks. That kind of makes sense at that point in the evolution, because it's a small, it's a very, very small water attack attacking a grass type. And I can get behind that. And at that point, the creators weren't, like, that enamored with the games. Yeah. And they became super enamored with the games, and everything is absolutely perfect and 100% accurate down to abilities and natures. Yeah. As the series goes on, and, like, more mechanics from the games get introduced, like, it is reflected in the manga very accurately, and it does, like, influence how things play out, and 
is integral to how kind of the plot progresses too in many cases. My favorite thing about the early arcs is that they pull a bunch of stuff from unseen promotional materials. So, so stuff like, let's say, um, Golem's Explosion, how that works. That's pulled from an illustration that Ken Sugimori made for some Bandai cards before the trading card came out. Uh, Agatha's um, Arbok having different patterns. That's from a, um, a Pokemon guidebook that Game Freak made back in the day, saying that different regions had different patterns for Arbok. That's never been implemented in the games. But I think it should be stupid. <laughs> Alola would have been the perfect region to do that. Right? I know, it'd be the perfect region. I'm surprised <laughs> that that hasn't been... In- and um, also from that guidebook, uh, like, just various things, like just small factoids that make the world seem a lot more realistic than the anime, which is odd, because the anime is a lot more character-focused, like characters walking around with their day-to-day lives, while Pokemon Adventures is actually, like, a very big adventure. But there's, there's a big focus on how humans interact with Pokemon and how they use them in their day-to-day lives, and vice versa, and how, like, and how Pokemon capturing works, and blah, 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 blah. And I also have a little affinity for the balls being capsules, rather than, like, the Pokeball thing, where you, you open it up a little bit, and then the Pokemon goes inside, rather than it being a capsule that explodes, and you can see the little pieces, and I love that. Yeah. I'm dumb. <laughs> I think, like, Pokemon Adventures is a really great amalgamation of, like, all sorts of inspirations from all other aspects of the Pokemon media franchise. It takes influence from the games, and the anime, trading cards, and just any miscellaneous little factoids, and weaves it into, like, its own story in its own like universe with its own set of rules about how pokemon are employed and behave and interact in this world and i think it's really cool and i think it's like more fleshed out than in the anime in terms of like how the world of pokemon adventures works and like how like people interact with pokemon in their daily lives yeah yeah i agree one um, one thing i love about the first arc is that it's very very different from the other arcs in that it's one, it's the only arc where the main, main focus is on a character going around collecting badges. I mean, you get a bit of that in black and white, but not exactly as, this is, this is the one arc where it's, where it's 100% accurate to the game's story, as in, a character is going around collecting all eight badges to enter the Pokemon League, and Team Rocket gets in their way occasionally. And I think they've got the perfect protagonist for that in red, which is an excitable little kid that that knows a lot about Pokemon, but's gonna go on a grand adventure and it's with his with his rival Blue, who's a total dunderhead. <laughs> and, but then he becomes not a dunderhead off screen because who needs character development when you have really cool battles? I think Blue does have some uh, notable development in the first start. Mm-hmm. I do think that some of those major changes. Kind of feels sudden and might have occurred off screen, but I do think like, you know, his interactions with Red, uh, in Lavender Tower, and then, uh, also later on when, you know, in that one chapter where they switch Pokemon, and their Pokemon kind of get the sense of how the, the other trainer, like, treats them, and, you know, I think, like, just from experiences like that and his interactions with Red, he does start to grow in his own ways. And I think that's reflected in Red himself. Like, he also grows from his interactions with Green, and they both learn from each other. And that all pays off in the final chapter in their final battle in the arc. And Oak is commenting, hmm, Red is started to think a little more tactfully like Blue. And Blue has started to treat his Pokemon with more compassion, has started to, like, look out for their well-being a little more, like Red. And so you kind of see how they've influenced each other, and I thought that mm-hmm. was, like, 
that aspect of the relationship was done in a very well done way. It's, it's very, very well done. I would argue that it's very, very unsubtle, but it's, 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 it's great. It's great, of course. It's just supposed to be a fun little adventure. That's the point of it. I would say that um, it's more told than shown, and very, very... It was supposed to be a kid's manga anyway, so it's not like I'm expecting... Uh, I'm, not, I'm not expecting, like, a super big character arc, but I do now. Because <laughs> we're Ruby! <laughs> but for, uh, for what they are, the characters are very, very strong, and even though character development is told through exposition and very, very obvious, and, like, there would just be a chapter which is obviously, oh, this is the character development chapter, and in these seven pages, they'll be different. Bye, Blue. We'll see you again, uh, sometime. <laughs> oh, do you have anything to add, by the way? We can kind of, we can kind of chat him back and forth. <laughs> well, I, I just want to make a couple general statements, and not exactly about this arc, but, I mean, you know, Blue is introduced in this, and all of the characters show up through many different arcs. So Red, mm-hmm. Blue, and Green, well, you know, do show up through all the arcs. Um, Blue shows up in X and Y. Which was surprising to me. I was like, what are you doing here, buddy? I mean, I'm not complaining. But another character... Well, yeah, Red and Green show up in Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, too. Oh, so... I haven't read that one because I'm not working on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Blue does show up in the games during a small event at one point. He's mentioned, actually, a couple times, too. Along with the catchphrase, smell you later. <laughs> Which he never says in the manga! <laughs> but, uh, other characters that show up repeatedly are Blaine and Mewtwo. Yes, I love those two. Yes, their relationship is so interesting, and it's really cool to see how it evolves as as time goes by, as the years go by, because time mm-hmm. does pass. Because, I mean, like, like you guys said, you know, like, Red's an excitable little kid in Red, Blue, and Green. Mm-hmm. But he's Goodness, what, like, in his late teens at least now? I think he's 20 mm-hmm. as of Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire. Yeah, so, and he's changed a lot. Yeah, so it, it's really neat to, to read the early volumes and be like, oh yeah, look, it's red, and then read the more recent volumes and be like, wow, there's not a ton of growth in this arc, but overall, it's it's really neat to see. Yeah, most of the adult stuff, like, Let's like like the most of the subtle stuff seems to be given towards uh, uh Blaine and Mewtwo, which it seems slightly out of place, but slightly not at the same time, as it does follow something that did happen in the games, as the mansion is slightly hinted to be owned by Blaine. Blah blah blah. You, you make make your fan theories in the comments <laughs> or something. I don't know. I don't care. The Cinnabar Mansion was cool. It was a bit more of a odd sci-fi thing, like. It seemed like it belonged in um, some sort of thing that's, I don't know, Steve Ditko or somebody would write uh, in the 60s. It was odd um, odd body horror, a little bit of a Frankenstein's monster thing with a Blaine and Mewtwo, a man with a past that comes back to literally haunt him on his arm at all times. Yeah. And it, it's interesting and really cool. And then later it goes on to happy, happy fun times again. They're brothers. <laughs> Yay. I also love Mewtwo's spoon. Yes, Mewtwo's spoon. Yeah. <laughs> make a poking tournament too. Need the spoon. Yeah, make it happen. Why, have, why haven't they employed a spoon in like Pokin or Smash Brothers? That'd be a great fighting weapon. I want to see Ash try to bend Mewtwo's spoon. 
<laughs> still my favorite part of the anime. Yeah, I, I do love Lin and Yuchi's relationship and like seeing like how connected they get and. Like, even though Blaine doesn't play a huge part in Fire Red and Leaf Green, for instance, like, you get this one, like, uh, panel of him, like, where he's, like, kind of thing, he still feels something is going on with Mewtwo because of all the time they spent together. Yeah. I love moments like that. And, of course, like, when you get to X and Y, uh, you know, Blaine shows back again, and, you know, because of his bond with Mewtwo, like, he can initiate the Mega Evolution, and it's like, ah, oh, yeah. That's great payoff. I was not expecting him to show up. Yeah, that was like, why are you here? Not that I'm complaining. (laughs) Hello, best gym leader. (laughs) (laughs) I've read some places that Misty was supposed to be, like, have a bigger role than she did, and, uh, like, appear with Red more often. Blaine just totally took her role. I'm totally okay with that, (laughs) even though I do like Misty in the manga. She's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Although I I think Lady Platina shows what they were originally trying to do with a... Uh, Misty a lot better anyways, so. Misty kind of has a bittersweet ending to her arc when you get to gold and silver. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I really love what they did in making, like, Street of the Gym Leaders members of Team Rocket. I thought that was interesting. You had, like, half the Gym Leaders were members of Team Rocket, and half of them were, like, on the side of good. But, of course, The Blaine, good Gym Leaders. Yeah, and, but, of course, so Blaine, corny. you know, uh, defects from Team Rocket and takes responsibility from you two. But, like, the Team Rocket triad of Sabrina, Koga, and Lieutenant Surge, I thought were all really cool villains for, like, this first arc. It was a good way to have, like, some unique threatening villains when in the games there's only Giovanni. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Giovanni was was, um, almost completely absent, and he only showed up at least once, and then he he caused the only Pokemon death in the series. (laughs) (laughs) That was fun, and slightly... Awful. <laughs> uh, but the Supreme Court Lieutenant Surge were great because they just showed up in the most unexpected of places, like places that do have, like, histories in the games, of course. So I was like, oh, it's the St. Anne. What are they going to do here? Oh, hi, Lieutenant Surge. <laughs> Koga was very interesting. I, I, I've always liked ninjas. And he was great because he, ab- he was absolutely everywhere. Nowhere. You, didn't know, you didn't know if he was spying on you or not. He was just there. And then he was gone. Although it paid off a bit more in uh, um the yellow arc, that like the whole ninja aspect to him with it, when he fights Agatha, it was really fun to watch it, um Blue fight him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Koga also has a really good kind of arc throughout the series because like you know he's introduced like as this more scheming villain in red and blue, but then he kind of has this more honor code when you get the yellow, and then you know he and Bruno have kind of repented their ways by the time of uh gold and silver, and show up to help red and blue, you know, so it's, like, really cool. I I really do like the character development in general for characters in Pokemon Adventures. Like, it's a lot more storied and, like, developed than any of the character arcs in the anime, Mm. which I really appreciate. I appreciate, you know, that we get different protagonists in each arc, but also, like, the existing protagonists, the previous protagonists don't go away, and their stories are still continuing, and they still are maturing. It's low, it's more satisfying than like Ash like being reset every oh, every series. I'm just I'm just pretending that like every single arc from now on is just kind of standalone because that seems to be what they're going for. Honestly, it does kind of feel like that. I mean, how do you lose to a level five Snivy? Okay, there that doesn't make any sense because it's very very because it, it, that actually does tie into the Hoenn arc where Ash was a mentor. X and Y uh, seems to like... Ash is a mentor again in X and Y, which is super cool. Sun and Moon, it's good, 
but it doesn't tie into anything from the old series, which kind of works, honestly, because it's so different. It's not like black and white, where they're like, look at all your favorite characters, look at how they've grown, or not. <laughs> but I think uh, if we're done talking about the red and blue arc, we should move on to the yellow arc, which it seems was all of our introductions to the series, pretty much. Yeah. No. I think we all agree we really connected and empathized with Yellow as a character, because we kind of also had the same kind of perspective as her in some ways. And I thought she was a really unique protagonist, because she wasn't all gung-ho about fighting or battling, but she was still very much committed to doing the right thing and doing the best that she can do uh, with this, like, huge, you know, undertaking assigned to her. Like, she basically has to you know, fight Lance and defeat him and save the world and stuff, which is bigger responsibility than, like, Red really was entrusted upon. Yeah. Originally. So, you know, I, I really connected with her, and I, like, I really felt like when all of her Pokemon are evolving at once in the final battle with Lance, like, that was, like, a really satisfying moment. And, you know, the Elite Four, too, were made really great villains. Bruno was, you know brainwashed kind of into doing what he did but like he was like a cool honorable villain uh he was kind of like rom in jojo's mm -hmm. in terms of you know i feel like battle tendency is kind of a good comparison in some ways for the yellow arc because really i imagine is. like the climax it takes place on the top of a volcano and the battle <laughs> climax of battle tendency takes place on top of a volcano like lance wants to exterminate humanity and like he kind of thinks of himself above everybody, like cars. <laughs> I think you can make some fun comparisons. They've also both got fabulous hair. Yes. <laughs> so, so does this mean that Pokemon is JoJo or JoJo is Pokemon? Well, well JoJo came first. Uh... I, I do think Pokemon yeah. Adventures is kind of like structured. It is structured like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I, I feel like maybe in it some is. ways, like the having new protagonists in each arc and each arc kind of being about a different take on the on the franchise. But they're still is connected. A little bit inspired. Yeah, yeah, but still connected is might be inspired by JoJo in some way. I don't know, I haven't read anything about that, but there's only like one English translated interview out with <laughs> yeah. them, so I guess we'll just have to keep guessing as to what their inspirations are besides kaiju movies. <laughs> it's interesting to think about. It's yeah. But my favorite thing about Yellow is it's such a big departure from, of course, normal show, uh, normal manga for kids, obviously, as, a, as the protagonist is, one, a female, two, doesn't want to fight, and to the point where she actually cries for her Pokemon Evolve, which is a great... Oh, it it kind of That kind of defines the arc for me, because, yes, they, she's kind of made fun of by the characters, but it's not seen as a bad thing, it's seen as a strong thing, as that's how she approaches Pokemon. Yeah. It also kind of resonates with how everybody approaches Pokemon a different way and how, like, they think about the world and the characters, which becomes a major theme as time goes on. It was a kind of a gamble, and especially since the franchise was becoming big at the time and Pokemon started to have more of a control over everything that it licensed. No more stuff like Jesse getting pregnant, I guess. Um, <laughs> it's ambitious, it's interesting, and um, there's... Some moral shades of gray, a little bit more than you'd expect from a Pokemon manga, obviously, with Bruno as a character, Lorelai as a character, um, and the Elite Four's goals in general. It's fun. 
It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Also, the Team Rocket boss is coming back as heroes rather than villains, and Giovanni, I, I was getting really into the arc at the time and uh, when I was reading this recently, and when Giovanni showed up, I was like, oh boy! And the, so like, I just felt this, like when you're watching a movie and, you're, and, um, and the hero shows up when all is lost, and I've like felt that, but I also felt like disgust and revulsion at the same time. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how to feel about this, this is great. <laughs> Yeah, Giovanni is a great, like, antagonist in the series. Cause he can oscillate between being an ally and, like, an enemy, and he's just as formidable whatever side he takes. And I think that's, like, he's really cool in terms, as, like, uh, this morally ambiguous character. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, he's, he's a bad person. But he has, he can, you know, be a force of good if he wants to be. Yeah. And it just kind of kind of runs away, but not really, which is cool. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I I love about the manga was that it kind it, it still didn't go into it too much, but it did kind of go into the relationship between Agatha and Oak. Yeah. Yeah. That is such a cool thing, and I would love for something to expound upon it. But the manga's the closest we're ever going to get. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was hoping for a little more elaboration in a later arc too, but. You know, we ne- Agatha has never shown up again. I'm still not actually sure, like, what has happened. Well, there really was that picture in Gold and Silver. There was that picture. There was that picture. <laughs> also, also, also uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to ta- talk about my favorite part of uh, Pokemon Adventures. Pulling in random things from, uh, from other parts of the Pokemon franchise. For example, at one point, Hitmonlee is fighting Green's uh, Blastoise. All seems to be lost because Green's all the way on the other side of the place... And she can't get to her Blastoise. She can't escape. Oh no, what's gonna happen? Well, she pulls out the microphone from Hey You Pikachu and talks into it and sends a sound bubble to Blastoise. I, I died the first time I read that. It was so cool. It's pretty great. I, I, I do love how the series employs like inspiration from so many other sources like that. Technology, man. Te- <laughs> technology is really incredible. <laughs> bubble messaging technology is the way of the future. Uh, wow. Did you know you can transmit sound waves with bubbles? It's true. I want that in a Pokemon game. You know? <laughs> I, want, I want the fat guy at the beginning to say that. The fat guy is running out of things to say. <laughs> Technology's progressed to the point where we can transmit gods across space and time to other dimensions. <laughs> now, what's he? What's he got to be amazed about now? Now I want it to be like, hey, like, was it young trainer, champion in training, whatever? Like, no, that, uh, the, no, the fact at the beginning of like each town uh, who says, "Wow, technology's really amazing." Yeah, like in the first game, he says you can store things. That, that guy's the uh, um, that guy's the champ in the making person um, at the beginning of the gyms. Yeah, like I, I, I want to see. Him like, wow, yeah, technology is amazing. Did you know? And you're like on your smartphone, like, what? Sorry, huh? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I don't need any information from you. I got it here. And he's like, technology is amazing. Is he going to the gym? <laughs> I, of all the characters that I want to become recurring, I want him to become <laughs> recurring. Just like the, just like like manga has like various characters that are recurring in the games become recurring in the manga, like the uh, or or just original characters that they make. So like the guy that runs a. Um, the guy that runs the radio tower, the announcer person who simultaneously um, runs every single contest, bike race, um, yeah. and musical ever, um, and also ho- and also starts off every event ever. The the Pokemon League director being champ in the making guy. 
Yeah. <laughs> I love that. It's strange that he's not in the manga at all, that the technology is amazing guy. He's yeah. never been in a arc. I mean, come on. The random swimmer man has more of a presence than you. Although I do what <laughs> Random swimmer man has the best arc in the manga. <laughs> The Fanco president is in every arc, pretty much. And he plays a major role in some of the development of most... Like, he plays at least a major role in some of the development of all the characters, even though he is played for laughs. Which is fun. Yeah. I think that's very subtle. I, lo I love it in the end of the Gold and Silver arc, where he, like, hears the message about, like, Hey, everyone, send your Pokemon together to us to help us defeat Ho-Amugia. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to send my Pokemon. Just before he was like, no, I don't want my Pokemon to battle. I'm disgusted by the thought. But now he's, like, changed. he's like, yeah, I'm going to help He's out. grown, too. <laughs> he oh. the, the, gr the greatest arc in early Pokemon adventures. While some people might say it's Crystal, the person that they tried to give character development to very subtly, or they might say Silver, who has a troubled past. This Pokemon League director guy. <laughs> I love him! <laughs> ten out of ten waifu. <laughs> He's probably going to the gold and silver arc now. Well, one final thing I have to say about the yellow arc is that it's the first, like, really original, like, story in the Pokemon Adventures in terms of, like, it's not based on anything from the game. Yeah. So, like, completely inventing a whole new storyline. It has a whole new character not based on any character design from the games in yellow. And I think it's, like, one of the first, like, real big, at least forward into what Pokemon Adventures later becomes. In, like, inventing, in, like, continuing, like, the storylines of all these existing characters, developing the mythology a little more, and also, you know, showing the chops for Kusaka, like, taking the Pokemon concept and, like, doing interesting things and making his own twist on things and own stories with it. You know, I think that part of me was a reason why I connected with the arc so strongly when I was a kid, was because it was, like, completely different from any other iteration of Pokemon that I had seen across the anime and other comics. Yeah, it's it, it, whereas red and blue and green, yeah, technically it's not exactly the same as, you know, the Pokemon adventures we went on in the game or, you know, Ash's Pokemon adventure. We went on something similar. We saw that before. But yeah, like, like you said, Yellow's a completely new story. So it, it's infinitely more interesting to me because it's like, Oh, like, I can't see where it's going, where I'm like, well, is Red going to get another badge? Is Red going to go, you know, is he going to become champion? Is he going to fight people? Is he going to win? You know, mm -hmm. but Yellow, it's like, well, she doesn't want to fight. It's, you can't predict it so much. Yeah, I mean, it's only the second arc in the manga, but it's like the first story, like, across all the Pokemon narrations where it wasn't about getting badges. And it was about, like, this completely new thing. It didn't follow, like, kind of a structure you could follow based on what you knew of the games or anime. Yeah. And I think that was, I thought that was very interesting. And I think it definitely informs like how in later arcs, while there are gym leaders and there, and there is a Pokemon League, that isn't always the goal of the protagonist. Mm -hmm. It becomes less and less the goal of the protagonist as time goes on, excluding, of course, black and white, to the point where in Diamond and Pearl, they just kind of get badges. Yeah, they yeah. just like, it's like, well, Platinum does actually want to challenge all the gyms in Diamond and Pearl. Yeah, so. yeah. The, um, yeah. The interesting thing about that is, like, she, uh, obviously in every single arc you have to have gym leader battles because that's a part of the games. But then, like, it becomes less and less like the motivation of the games is to enter the um the league tournament and more like this is what the character wants to do with their Pokemon and this is what their adventure is. And they just kind of experiment more and more with how with the tone of the series and how each character works. When Yellow really sets a precedent for. Instead of telling a 
story about Pokemon, we're going to tell a story with Pokemon. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. a great way of putting it. And I think that's also reflected in how Gold and Silver plays out and how that is translated from the plot of the games. Because it also invents like its own new antagonist in the form of Maskifites mm-hmm. and reshapes the mythology of the characters uh, of Silver and why he's so desperately wants to bring down Team Rocket, you know, in a different way from the games as well. I do think that the plot of the Gold and Silver arc is better than the plot in the games, which is paper thin at best. Because it's it's just it's just a shadow of um the red and blue plot, and there's no weird Cinnabar mansion to make everything <laughs> to, to make dumb fan theories about. Yeah, the Cinnabar <laughs> Highland it got destroyed mostly in a volcano eruption. Yay! Which isn't mentioned in the manga. It's kind of. I cool. don't think it happened in the manga. Yeah, I'll, I'll, that's like one event in the games that doesn't happen in the manga. So yeah. like usually they make it at a point to make everything in the games happen in some form in the manga, but not that. The uh the the Mask of Ice arc. I I think they got I think the writer got a little bit high on hey I can write new stories and people will still like it. <laughs> Team Rocket is is very very much pushed to the wayside in my opinion of course. Um as in the only noteworthy thing that they do throughout the entire series of Gold and Silver. But this is excluding Crystal of course when you know Crystal becomes a character in Volume Ten is they steal a bag. And they don't even steal the right bag. They just steal a bag. <laughs> they just dump it. And then I'm like, oh, okay, okay. And the Mask of Ice is, of course, an intimidating presence, but there's no, we don't, we don't know his goals, of course. Which, I mean, that does create an air of mystery for his very first few appearances. And then it just kind of wears on you when he just kind of appears out of nowhere occasionally when Gold is just sort of getting more and more reasons to go on an adventure that don't really work out. They're, they're trying something new, but it's not really working out, is what I think. That's that's just my opinion. It see, they seem to be uh, trying to put together a more cohesive narrative where, like, one chapter takes place directly after the other, rather than uh, Red and Blues. We're going to have, like, various short stories, rather like a, uh, um early Bronze Age comic book. I'm not even going to play that, because I'm not a wizard. Um, <laughs> and it works sometimes. When Gold's just doing a fun thing by himself, because Gold's a very, very strong character. He's one of my favorite protagonists, and Silver's a strong character and a strong presence. We saw him being called by Blue. That was cool. That was like, oh man, he's he's connected to Green. What's gonna happen? I guess he's gonna steal some stuff, and he's at least less edgy than he is in the game. <laughs> that's a that's nice, I guess. When's Gold gonna annoy somebody again? And that's all I really cared about. There wasn't really a narrative. It was just kind of... It kind of just dragged a bit. Yeah, it yeah. just dragged a bit. Whereas, like, Diamond and Pearl, it still lets you know from the get-go that there is really no cohesive story. This one's like, we're having a cohesive story, maybe. I don't know. Let's have a bike race. <laughs> Doesn't really have a bearing on the plot. But Gold catches a Pokemon. There we go. Yeah. This arc is long, twice as long as uh, the red and green arc. And it's as, it's as long as the red, blue, green, and yellow arcs combined. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I definitely think it does suffer a little bit from padding. Kind of like how in the anime, those seasons, the Johto seasons kind of suffered a lot more from padding too. But uh, I think that there were some really great moments and things about it. Gold, Silver, and Crystal were all very well-done characters, I felt. Crystal especially, like, I was really... I thought she was really cool. I liked how she, you know, kicked her Pokeballs. Yeah, that was really crazy. Yeah, mm-hmm. and she was like, the first protagonist was really like, yeah, I'm going to catch them all, and that's her thing. Yeah, and, and it's, it's 
I like how it's like it's her thing, but it's kind of like her business almost. Like she's like, yes, that's that's what I do. I catch Pokemon. Yes, you want me to catch a Pokemon? Okay, I'll do it. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, smart. right. She's a professional. Mm-hmm. When the Crystal Arc started, so that'd be Volume Ten, which is incidentally, I, I think this is where the manga takes like a very very uh, sharp turn into right. what it would become nowadays. Um, because this, yeah. we're also where uh, Yamamoto, where comes Yamamoto on. replaces Mato because yeah. Mato. Uh, Got, got sick. sick and she couldn't draw anymore. And so, you know, at that point, like it was mentioned in the interview on ANN that like Kusaka had two choices: either continue the series without Mato or or end it. And he decided, you know, he wanted to continue it. And like a lot of people were against that decision and were not very fond of Yamamoto's early arc. But I oh, think God, that man. it, <laughs> I can't imagine Pokemon Adventure ending considering like some of the best parts to come of it yeah. happened after that change. Mm-hmm. And I like, go back to the early Ma- to the Mato volumes and I do love her art a lot. It's, it reminds me a little bit of uh, um, Akira Toriyama's more comedic art. It's very, very blocky and small, but like when something like exciting is happening, it'll become a lot more detailed, which is super cool. Also, I have a thing for um, anybody who draws uh, Charmanders with the little dinosaur ridges on its back. <laughs> Bring it back, Nintendo! Oh, Nintendo. <laughs> Yamato, from the get-go, makes it very, very clear that his art is very different. The first thing that we see is Professor Oak coming to a Pokemon trainer's school. And Professor Oak looks very, very different. He, his muscles are actually defined. His stature's a lot bigger. The backgrounds are a lot more detailed. Um, while there are some comedy characters, like the person who's running the trainer's school looks like one of, he looks like one of Mato's comic regular characters. Once Crystal appears, the manga's a lot more fluid. Um, the story's a lot more like, um, one chapter leads into another rather than like, rather than being a, a bit more scattered about. And while I don't think his men were very good at that point, he was very, very good at drawing girls, yeah. especially Crystal, of course. And he made it very. And he focused a lot on her and her motion, which was a big, very big part of her character. His art was very, very expressive through it, through motion rather than facial expressions in comedy. Also, he drew a lot of Pokemon, and that was cool. Yeah. <laughs> Although Professor Oak occasionally looked like Jonathan Joestar <laughs> in part in uh, Araki's Part One, not the anime. Go read the manga, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Really tiny heads. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Elm also has a very hard jawline, and that kind of weirds me out. <laughs> yeah, but like buildings with um, instead of looking like they did in a um, Sadashi Tajiri's like quickly sketched up um, uh, produ- uh, production design for a, the first Pokemon game, where it's just like a square building with like with this one recognizable font saying "Pokey whatever." Like buildings had different angles. They had um, they they had uh, different designs to each of them. Each place had a different architecture. And that was cool. And then people started bullying Yamato on the in- um, y- Yamamoto on the internet, and they started reverting to Mato style. <laughs> Everything started becoming a bit more blocky and Doctor Slumpy, which still looked good. Started drawing men a little bit better too, and I think it actually helped him as an artist. But that original style will always be lost to time. Yeah, his his character designs at the start were very different from Mato's. Because Mato's was 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 so much more simplified, a little more chibi-esque, for lack of a better term. Whereas Mato's were more defined, like his characters were a little more mature looking, a little more traditionally shonen looking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it was a bit of an adjustment to get used to. But he has improved a lot over the course of working on the series. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it, the, he, ha- he has been a great benefit this series, especially as it started to move in darker, a little more serious directions as well in some arcs. 
That's why Ruby Sapphire has the best art. Nobody can convince me otherwise. <laughs> I, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the censorship. Oh, boy. Yes, yes please. please do. Because everyone wants to know. So, yeah, so I'm sure anybody that's ever read... I think it's I think it's volume. I, I, I don't remember. It's volume ten. It's volume eleven. Oh, yeah, you're right. It's after Crystal has fought Snoopy. Oh. Mm-hmm. But there is a scene where Crystal's feeling really down, and she meets her mom, who's a very interesting character. And her mom yeah. only appears in one chapter. Yeah, unfortunately. And her mom straight out just slaps her right across the face. <laughs> and it's a great scene, but we censored it for the English release. Because, as mentioned uh, much earlier, child abuse, not okay. However, it seems like child abuse, as long as you're not the parent, is more okay. So you'll see other characters (laughs) beating up the trainers. Mm -hmm. But when it's your own parent, it's not okay. So we did have to uh, change that one. And it was really fun to see the fallout online when it came out. Yeah. I think it's I, I, I think it's hilarious because like she just stared. It looks like she's just staring at Crystal and that's what caused Crystal to flinch. It's like hilarious to think about. Like Crystal is just is so scared of her mom that like when she just stares at her anger that she flinches. So so I, 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 I sent you a link on Skype of the version I wanted to use. But for some reason, my editor said it wasn't acceptable. Oh, lovely. Um, because, yeah, I was like, why is she... This makes no sense. Like, should we change this any other way? And... <laughs> my editor's like, yeah, we, we just keep it. She's just staring at her really, really hard. Like, okay, whatever. I, I do want to mention, um, I don't know when, when this started, because when I was working on yellow, I don't think we had to do this. But all the changes you see now in Pokemon are approved by the Pokemon Company International. Huh. I was wondering how much uh, involvement or say they have in like the translation and the edits made. Yeah, we send them everything we do on Pokemon Adventures, and then they'll send us back corrections. And a lot of times it, it's pretty neat stuff, like uh, we were talking about Mount Silver at some point, and I think we spelled mm-hmm. it out M-O-U-N-T silver and they're like no because in the video games it's MT period silver like oh okay and, and they'll, they'll correct stuff like we can't make reference to any real creatures because they don't exist in the Pokemon hmm. world so if you make a pun that involves like oh it's raining cats and dogs you can't say that because cats and dogs don't exist in the Pokemon world even though in the Pokemon anime sometimes there are cats and dogs yeah and the mongoose <laughs> and the mongoose so it's raining yeah. out and growling <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, so we'll have to change the, yeah, something like that. Um, it's also, I, I've heard people complain also, like, it's easy to tell when a Pokemon's female or male in certain situations, but we always mm-hmm. refer to it as it. Hmm. That's what, that's what the Pokemon company asks us to do. Even that's for, really even post, uh, Diamond and Pearl arts, where there are gender differences in Pokemon. Yes, and it drives me crazy. But, that's what the bosses <laughs> want. The... They do own the but right. A, but Pika and Choo Choo. Gosh. Yeah, you'll be like, I mean, in, in X and Y, it's it's uh, Kanga and Lil, Lil Kanga, I think. Mm-hmm. Clearly, one is the mother. I think we even mentioned that this is, you know, Kanga's, little Kanga's mom. But we can't say she has been with X this entire time. It's it. So, so it's, it's not, it's just their style guy. That's weird. They don't they never had that stipulation in the Ch- uh in the Chuang Yi translation, which is an official one. Yeah, so he I mean maybe 
our branch of Pokemon International is stickier. I'm not sure, but it's it's not because I, I've heard whispers like, well, this doesn't care about Pokemon, so that's why they're not there. No, no, no. We, we love Pokemon. <laughs> and I wish they approved these I-beam lasers, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to... Has, any, has anyone... Um, it, it was a trend for a while. To, uh, has anyone read uh, For the Man Who Has Everything by Alan Moore, that Superman comic? There was a Justice League Unlimited episode about it. At one point, a Mongol has Superman in his clutches, and he's like, Happy birthday, Kryptonian. I give you oblivion. And then Superman shoots him with his eye beams and throws him backwards. And that was, that was a, that was, it was a trend for a while to make little edits of that. I really want to make something about that with <laughs> Crystal's mom. <laughs> Happy birthday, Crystal. I bring you oblivion. <laughs> Oh, that'd be a great meme. <laughs> so it's a little late. Nobody cares about a four chan slash coboards memes, and they always they, they they never make it to any anywhere notable. But I like it. Also, one of my favorite ones was a Dark Knight Returns Batman. The artist drew him in a weird position. So just drawing him holding various things, and my favorite one is him holding a bowl of cereal and the spoon, and like the milk spilling out. He just looks like really happy. <laughs> Not related to Pokemon, but. I love it. Well, back on the... Do we have any final thoughts about Gold and Silver? Because I feel like we really want to get into Ruby and Sapphire. I really think that Crystal's character arc was kind of aborted way too early, and I think that they should have spent more time on that instead of having Suicune challenging various gym leaders, because uh, she was kind of shoved to the sidelines afterwards, but it was cool what they did with the arc afterwards, and it kind of redeemed the whole Generation 2 comics, and, and I think that's good. I'll agree with that. <laughs> That was just my feeling. So I was a lot of this is blending together in my head because I read it super super fast together because I thought it'd be very very interesting to compare the various eras. Now Ruby and Sapphire, that's where I think that they totally perfected the art of the character arc, like well um while balancing out having a fun adventure. Yeah, I think moving on to Ruby and Sapphire, I think that we'll all agree this is. Maybe the best arc in Pokemon Adventures. It's my favorite. It's my favorite as well, but I haven't read Oras yet. <laughs> and and to be fair, Diamond and Pearl is so good. It's so good. Yeah. This is where I think it it no, never mind. I can't say that. There are I was gonna say every <laughs> arc after this, like I think is really good, but there are arcs I didn't really care for. So no Yeah. yeah. Fire and Leaf Green can go down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that this is the best arc in terms of how all the story all comes together. Oh, certainly. I, I, I think that both Ruby and Sapphire are very strong protagonists, and I think that their character arcs are definitely among the best in the series. Ruby's, I think, is by far the best. Mm -hmm. I think he's the most well-realized character, and he's the most dynamic character in terms of where he starts out from as this prissy kind of sissy uh, boy. Fabulous. The word you're looking for is fabulous. Yeah. Yes, very fabulous. <laughs> but the, and who is a little, a pretty, a rather selfish. But then, as the story goes along, he kind of decides to be more comfortable with battling, and also learns, gets a greater sense of responsibility and some more respect for the people around him as well. And really comes to into his own as a hero, and like is prepared to make sacrifices for the sake of other people too. By the end. Uh, also, also, may I say that I absolutely love the use of uh, the champion and the gym leaders in this arc. I think that this perfectly blends the idea of a proactive gym leader with the idea of like gym leaders working with gyms. And while I don't exactly agree with how they handled the whole uh, Team Aqua versus Team Magma thing with the gym leaders taking sides, because Pokemon was trying to do something like that at the time, 
It's in some promotional materials that I've seen, like, which side do you agree with when Emerald came out? My favorite part of the arc is where Wallace and Ruby are 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 wading through this the the, uh, the absolutely ruined Lily Cove city. I think it was Lily Cove, wasn't it? I think it's Lily Cove. Yeah. And, and Ruby at this point is going absolutely insane. He, every everything that he's worked for has isn't going right. The world might be ending. God only knows. Everything's kind of bad. So he's kind of a little bit on edge, and he forces himself into the contest hall. And then, and then yells that he wants to compete in the contest. And he obviously loses spectacularly, and he takes it all out on his Phoebus Mimi. And it's absolutely gut-wrenching to watch him yell at this, at, at this character. You thought, that, uh, you thought up until this point that he had appreciated, um, like he'd be, learned to appreciate the inner beauty of Pokemon rather than like their outward appearance. And then Wallace comes out, and he starts explaining why Ruby is a terrible person. <laughs> When, like, it shows all these little subtle ticks that, like, to borrow a phrase from the great Mr. Plinkett, you may not have noticed what your brain did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey! Those thoughts were running through my mind, but I just kind of put them aside because I thought it was for a joke. But no, this is actually a major part of Ruby's character development. And it's also a big part of Wallace's character development. He's got some... Re he's finally, He's taking some responsibility. He's been running away from responsibility for most of the entire arc, just kind of giving a little bit of half-hearted everything. And this is where he's finally confronting somebody that's very much like him, that wants to be exactly like him. It's so good. It's so good. There's great parallels between Ruby and Moss and Sapphire and Renona. Mm -hmm. And that's also reflected in kind of the romantic chemistry between them two. Yeah, I'll stop. I mean, I'm sure some people will argue that the uh, stuff between Ruby and his father and Ruby and Sapphire and uh, Wallace and Steven during the uh, um, Kyogre and Groudon battle it is a little bit better, but I kept getting distracted by the various amounts of deus ex machina that they kept pulling out of nowhere. I'm like, oh, the meteor shard, great. Oh, the red and blue orbs are absorbed into their bodies, great. Mirage Island is out of sync with the rest of time, great. Great. <laughs> oh god. Oh, okay. This energy. There's an energy bubble now. All right. Oh, he has a Celebi. What? <laughs> yeah, I think the only one that really bothered me was Celebi. Yeah. See, that, that Celebi actually didn't bother me as much because he uses it in, like, the first or second chapter. So I was like, this isn't so out of nowhere, it's just highly implausible. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's like, and then everybody's alive yeah, again. Yeah, like, everybody's like, alive, yeah. I was just like, like, people are dying left and right, and I was like, oh, this is getting brutal. Holy crap. I, th I, th I thought that was like I, I thought that they were going for um oh that was just a substitute of Norman because it looked like a doll no no that was his yeah, actual body like, burning away crazy. yeah like, they wake up and like everybody's okay and I was like I'm not as like I want people to be okay and I'm happy they're okay they shouldn't be okay but yeah. the passing <laughs> of the torch scene they they really went into Wallace's changed appearance in um like, you know how in Emerald he's the champion and he has the cape. Mm -hmm. Like most, like most of the fans are just like, "Lol, Steven's a better champion." I play Ruby because Wallace is a terrible champion. No, no, Wallace is originally supposed to be the champion. Abandoned it because he didn't like responsibility and wanted to get with Winona because he's a total loser. <laughs> no, because he has good taste. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This just gives him. There's so many dimensions to this character that I that was already one of my favorite Pokemon characters just because of all of his dialogue and his just the way he looked and. Oh boy, she's so pretty. <laughs> I just love the scene where Steven gives him the cape, and, and Wallace is like, "What? What? What? Oh, 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 oh no!" <laughs> it's good. 
Also, Wally's arc is good. Oh, I, yeah. I was so happy with Wally's arc, but I feel kind of <laughs> bad because it's like, oh, thanks, we got Rekwaza. Anyway, see you later, bye. What? Wally! He, he kind of gets the short end of the stick yeah. because Norman just, he does all the work of awakening Rekwaza and Norman just flies off with it and leaves Wally on the tower. <laughs> like, like, You're going to come back, and right? Goes, and he lo- and Wally loses Grovile, too. And, it's yeah. that part I didn't like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, cause I thought Wally and Grovile, like, from the, I think that, um, Yamamoto's really, really good at drawing the way characters feel for their body language. Yeah. I thought that they were really, really bonding. Yeah! But super cool. Like, I was, I was very upset. I mean, you know, we see him again later, but it's just not as good. Emerald didn't bond with Septile. I, I love, I love how Emerald interrupts its Pokemon, but I, Emerald interrupts gets Septile to bond with him immediately, while Wally, like, goes through all these trials and tribulations with his Grovile, and it's good. It's really good. This is such a good art. Um, I, I, I kind of enjoyed the fact that uh, Wally was left alone. <laughs> as much as it sucked for Wally, it was like, it, it just kind of like, oh, Norman was just using him as a surrogate son, <laughs> which is a lot, and it was handled very tastefully and subtly. It's just a kind of little dimension to Norman's character and his and how he views his son and Wally's character as a whole. It like Wally growing from a sickly young boy to the man who awakened Rayquaza is what Norman wants his son to do. Yeah. Everything that Norman does with Wally is it's just him projecting on his son, making him a much more flawed and interesting character. It's one of the more subtle parts of the Ruby and Sapphire arc that I really enjoy. When Ruby realizes that he wanted that uh, his father had been training for years, so he could have done this with his son, it's awful. But you can understand it. Yeah, like he—he's a terrible father, but you can see where he comes from. Yeah, he's—he's got a terrible father, but his paternal instincts are always working overtime. Yeah, which I mean, I love—I love—I love to make little um introspections into the psychology of Kasaka because. He seems to love to draw kids. Like, most of the character arcs that, that he tries to do that I, that I think are well done, like the best ones that he does, revolve around fathers that aren't exactly the best, are extremely powerful, and usually absent. But not because of any fault of their own. <laughs> so it's like, so it seems like uh, if we're going to go full Sigmund Freud here, he has daddy issues, but he blames himself for those issues. And while he admits that his father is not perfect, his, he still respects his father in some way that makes him feel very, very, very guilty. Yeah. Because like the the relationship because if in Fire and Leaf Green something that they didn't touch on it, but it's still there in the background whether Kasaka likes it or not because it's focusing on red. Re should be focusing on silver and green. <laughs> um, <laughs> is the relationship between Giovanni and Silver and Silver coming to terms with the fact that his past is cursed? But he's still, in the end, forced to slightly reconcile with his father. Yeah, slightly. <laughs> well, yeah, which draws a lot of parallels to how Ruby is still is forced to slightly reconcile with his father. It's like his father was wrong, but he's also right. Yeah, <laughs> mostly wrong, a little bit right. It's very, very interesting. It's not very, it's done, not done a lot, and I didn't expect this level of sophistication from Pokemon. I can overlook. Any of the Day Six Machinas in the arc and all the the Celebi time travel thing, just for the fact that Norman and Ruby are such complex, interesting characters, and it just kind of makes me sad that there's nothing between uh, Birch and Sapphire because I enjoyed Birch as a character whenever he was on screen, and he's I would have loved the dynamic between him and Norman because they're yeah. apparently best friends. Yeah. yeah. 
And they have very, very different styles to raising their children. I would have loved them delving into the idea of the absent child with a doting father rather than an absent father with an adoring child. Yeah. Because Sapphire's always gone, but she's always helping her dad, yeah, but she's mostly absent in his life, but her father is constantly around with her, and he he's very, very nurturing and caring, and he loves her a lot, and it's adorable, and Sapphire just, like, runs off all the time on, on, on wild adventures and refuses to assimilate into modern society. Partially Birch's fault, but... <laughs> I, I do I do like that idea of field work. Yeah. And I would have loved to see the dynamic between him and Norman and seeing how he's raised Ruby. I mean, Norman does meet Ruby at one point, and I would have loved to see, like, what Birch meets Ruby at one point. I would see what Birch thought of Ruby at the time. Because there's not really much into how he views this child that, like... I, I'm pretty sure that Birch was aware that Ruby caused Rayquaza to escape. It's like this, this, this little powerhouse of a child suddenly became this... What is this? <laughs> Who is this sexy child? <laughs> it's fabulous. The word you're looking for again. It's fabulous. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking of Birch's words. I'm, I'm sure Birch wasn't impressed with Ruby. Uh, well, I would be. Birch wasn't because there's a life and death situation, and Birch is a little bit of a coward. But me, no, I'll just focus on how fabulous. Oh, he was. so fabulous. <laughs> I was like, yes, yes. You don't have to save me. Just let me die, so your Pokemon's fur coat can be beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> it is a noble cause. <laughs> like, wait, no, your your blood's getting on their fur. Oh no, stop that! Oh, oh, I was, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll try. I would try. I would love to stop this, but unfortunately, my arms are now stuck. Yeah, I, I can't. I'm really sorry. He's like, oh, that's so disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking about um, Ruby freeing Rayquaza, that kind of ticked me off because mm. it's not really Ruby's fault, you know? Like, what is he gonna do? Not fight something that's attacking? Like, yeah, it wasn't even that he instigated yeah. the fight. No. Why was there a Salamence there yeah, anyways? Seriously. Oh, well, you, that gets explained in Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire. Oh. There was uh, something going on behind all of that. Oh. Was yeah, it I gotta Sir? read it. No, it wasn't. Sir, Sir is behind it? everything, apparently. I wish, I wish we see more Sir, but no, it, it actually has to do with Zinnia. Um, and with Zinnia Salerance. Okay, okay. That makes a bit more sense, then. But I, I agree with you. That was He was only doing it in self-defense. And yes, the one of the major points of the manga is kind of there is a little bit of corruption in the Pokemon League. as And they do let the Team Aqua, Team Magma thing happen. And the gym leaders are forced to deal with everything while the Pokemon League is very, very hands-off. To the point where um, a lot of the gym leaders are disillusioned with how the League works, causing them to take sides of Team Aqua and Team Magma in the first place. It's kind of a heavy way of handling that, because it's not very... It's not... They don't go into the corruption much. And the director is still a likable character, who is active in the end anyways, so there's not really much growth within the League. Yeah. It's, it's like... It feels like an aborted plot arc. You can put together the pieces, and it might make you less angry, but it's still there, and it's kind of annoying. I do like going going back to the to the Salamance scene. I do like that reveal of Ruby and Sapphire as children, and <laughs> seeing why they are how they are today. I, I really did like that, and the frame of Ruby with his like freaking head bleeding because he's got this like these gashes out of it. He's just like, "Hey, son." Yeah, like, like, that's normal. You little bad. <laughs> He's like, yeah, look at me, I'm cool. Like, you see him later when he takes off his hat, and like, you know, and you see the gashes on his head, and it's like, oh, wow, that really left him Okay, hard. so the the hat. This is such a point of contention with me, because for years I argued with people, 
or whether it's hat or hair. And having read Pokemon Special, you know, before it was translated, yeah, he mm-hmm. takes it off. It's mm-hmm. a hat. Also, yeah. he also has a bunch of matching hats in the closet. I love the I love the little thing that he uses all these matching outfits, the exact <laughs> same so thing. Great. But like, I, He's I, so got, I I cosplayed Ruby a, a number of years ago now, and I mm-hmm. I remember I went to the Pokemon cosplay gathering. And there were a bunch of people there, and they were cosplaying Brendan. So, you know, mm-hmm. his, his game counterpart. And they all had very short brown hair and just like a, a headband on. And, they, wow. yeah, they look at me, and I've got this, you know, really poorly made fleece hat on. And they're like, <laughs> uh, excuse you, that's Brendan's hair. So it's like, first off, I'm cosplaying Ruby from the manga, <laughs> and it's a hat. And they're like, no, it's not. I was like, no, it is a hat. He takes it up. It's a hat. They're like, why are you trying to find a way to cover this up? I was like, it's a hat. Read <laughs> the manga. He takes it off his head. He doesn't scalp himself. And by the way, like, I didn't, I was just really flustered. But like, dude, if it's hair, why you guys, why do you all have short brown hair? It's just a headband. Yeah. Commit. Yeah, commit. They actually, like, I had white. Like, he does, um, so I've got, so I've got the Ken Sugimori artwork of, uh, um, of Ruby from Ruby and Sapphire first and hit an emerald, which is done in a very, very different style. I'd love to do, talk about the sometime with somebody who cares about the evolution of Ken Sugimori's <laughs> art style. Um, in, in the official artwork of the characters, you can see, it's a hat. He, ha- he ha- It's a little bit less noticeable in the Ruby artwork since it's just a small sliver of hair that you can see under there, but it's there. Very pixelated. There you go. Yeah, I can see it. <laughs> um, and in Emerald, it's a lot more noticeable since it's a, a, uh, a three-quarter space shot rather than, you know, uh, him kind of pointing at himself. But it's there. It's a hat. <laughs> it's a hat. It's a, it's, it's a hat. Do hat, you dinguses. <laughs> Time to put the debate to rest. You're all wrong. Go look at a piece of artwork. <laughs> We've been arguing for 15 years over nothing if we had just paid attention to the official artwork of Ken Sugimori. You can clearly see he has hair coming down to his ear, and it's black. It's, it's browner. Brown, brownish. Brownish. Black. Black. I don't know. Yeah, so technically, they were correct. Just like the, it's the headband without the you know, part of the hair. Yeah, the white hairy thing. In uh, most translations that I've seen, Sapphire makes reference to that controversy, <laughs> um, like asking her right off, right off, "Why did you grow your hair out? And why is it white?" And he's like, "It's a hat." <laughs> yeah, I know it's in the Chuang Yi version. I think there's a there's a variation of this translation too. Yeah, it's a it, it's good. I, I love the fact that they put in little Pokemon controversies <laughs> in the manga. They're aware. They've used the internet for years. They know what's happening. Yeah. I'm, if Oraz, uh, does Oraz have any references to water trumpets? Uh, I'm, I don't remember. <laughs> okay, we, we, we probably run out of time, so we should probably move to Fire and Leaf Green really, really quick. Oh, yeah. Uh, why don't you t- explain why you hate this art so vehemently? <laughs> Okay, so so first off, right off the bat, I don't like Red's costume as much, even even though I use that as the basis for my Red cosplay. <laughs> Sue me, but okay. So the arc is a revisitation of uh, of the main characters, and right off the bat, whereby uh, Kusaka says, "My point with this is that I'm going to try to make. I never was re- able to relate to Red, and I want to try to make him a relatable character for people who feel the same way." 
And I'm like, you know, I always related to Red. He's just kind of, he's a, he's a happy-go-lucky person along for the ride that kind of stumbles into situations and gets out of it by the seat of his pants. And that was always inter- that was always fun and interesting. It's a very sh- standard Shonen protagonist, but he ha- he did it with such a flair, and of course it's Pokemon that it it was more believable than how Ash does it most of the time. <laughs> and so the thing is, it'd be fine if that was his intention. But then then the arc starts out, and one of the major plot points is Green is finally reuniting with her parents after you know years of being a thief on the run, having to steal to survive living off the land with her wits. With nothing but her wits, after, you know, escaping from the horrific child detention camp, where she was the only person that was able to keep her identity in a place that was meant to squash your identity. And she managed to rescue, you know, Silver, too, and that was really interesting. She held on to, like, this identity that she had created, and now she's finally going back... She could finally go back to the one that she originally had, the one that she had left behind. She's finally seeing her parents. I mean, removing the obvious plot hole of, why couldn't she just go see them? But (laughs) it it was interesting, and I thought that that was... I wanted that to be the focus of the arc. I was like, wow, okay, this is starting off strong. Oh, boy. Uh, she's one of my favorite characters, my, one of my favorite female characters in fiction. I want to see the more sensitive side of her, because we've seen a lot of her just running around being Lupin the Third in a young girl's body, <laughs> tricking Team Rocket, like, tricking an entire criminal organization at the height of their power, all for the heck of it. Like, for fun! Taking pictures of legendaries for money! She She destroys the Mewtwo project single-handedly because she's bored and wants money. <laughs> I love her. She's so she's wild. So... Yeah. Mm, oh gosh, she's fun. Then she starts. See... So then she sees her parents, but she's being held by this horrible force. You don't know what it is, and the suspense is building. And suddenly, a dark shadow appears under their feet, and and she's trying to talk to her parents. She hasn't been able to talk to her parents in over ten years, and they're sucked down into this hole. Well, um, well, with with smiles still on their faces, and she's just screaming silently and crying. And I'm like, oh my. God, this is going to be good! Yeah, but... And then we we take a break for something that, admittedly, I do enjoy and is one of my favorite parts of the arc, which is uh, Kimberly... I don't know what she's called in the Viz translation. Um, uh, She's called Kimberly in the game, so I'm assuming she's called Kimberly in the Viz translation. She's the move tutor that teaches the ultimate moves! (laughs) Love her. Um, There's a a great character moments between her and uh, Blue and Red. All the while, I'm like, hey, Green's in the hospital. <laughs> how do we, we investigate that? And then suddenly, Team Rocket's revealed. And I'm like, oh boy, Giovanni's back. And he's got some admins that actually look intimidating. <laughs> and they've got uh, they've got gimmicks to them. Oh, and is this going to be the accumulation of Green and Silver's arcs together? <gasps> oh boy. And then Giovanni outright states, he's looking for his son. Oh boy, this is going to be so cool. And at the point, HeartGold and SoulSilver's Celebi event wasn't out yet. We didn't know that Silver, canonically, was Giovanni's son. So this is the only thing, besides that one event, in those, like, two boxes of dialogue, that explores the relationship between Silver and Giovanni. And the focus just becomes on... It just becomes, like, kind of a worse version of uh, Blaine and Mewtwo. It's just, like, it's just Red and Deoxys... And then everybody starts acting like Marvel citizens towards the Pokédex holders, and they're like, (laughs) Professor Oak wants the Pokédexes, and so they don't have their Pokédexes, and rockets start destroying the Sevi Islands, and they're powerless to stop them, and all the residents are like, Wee! 
you need to be, you need to give up, get off our island, it's all because of you! <laughs> it's like something you'd see in a bad, in a bad Marvel comic nowadays, or, you know, the standard plotline of the 60s <laughs> comics, where, like, a villain holds the Earth hostage and blah 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 blah, and everybody blames the hero. I think Spidey's Super Stories did it best. You know, the Electric Company won. And... While I didn't like this, they seem to also be, ex they, they seem to have a little bit of tension because Green had woken up and the hospital was being sieged by angry citizens that were crying for her blood. And this is like the first thing she sees when she wakes up, I'm like, oh boy, more psychological trauma for her. Let's see where this goes. Nowhere. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh, but, oh, Professor Oak has been kidnapped. Are we going to see a softer side of blue? No. No. Okay, we're gonna focus on red, uh, being gone light. Okay, okay. You know, you know, like the, uh, the, the I, I kept getting it. Uh, what was that? It was it Tower, Tower of Heaven, I think it's called? Uh, Heaven's Arena. Yeah, Heaven's Arena. Heaven's Arena arc vibes from all the dialogue Red was saying. I swear it was lifted directly from Hunter Hunter where, uh, Gone's talking about the time where he's like, I thought Hisoka could have killed me. What is this feeling? I, I'm addicted, I'm scared, but, my body is trembling. I'm like, Red. Red, stop being gold. <laughs> yeah. Red I mean, you're very similar characters, but I don't want you to go that way. Red has a very shonen protagonist arc in Fire Red Leaf. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. like, it doesn't make it, it doesn't make him more relatable. It made him less relatable to me because, I mean, Gon's not, you're not really supposed to relate to Gon. He's, no. he's supposed to be slightly deranged. Yeah. And here, this is like, it's being, it's being copy-pasted onto Red to make him more relatable to the average human being by a writer who personally more relates to Yellow than anyone else. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay. And then just the Deoxys fight with Mewtwo. That's cool. That's interesting. Deoxys' dialogue kind of sucks. And Giovanni's dialogue sucks. And Silver is just literally put in a closet for the whole arc. And, and they don't do anything with the characters. So I, I, since I was binging through all of this, I just finished writing, like, three paragraph long essays on the Facebook chat that me and my friends have about how, about how wonderful and subtle the relationship between Ruby and his father was and how this is absolutely wonderful and I haven't read stuff like this in a very, very long time and most adult comics by even my favorite writers like Grant Morrison don't reach this level of complexity and subtlety and then I'm just like, oh, well, I can't wait to see how they handle this because I don't remember it that much. And I'm like, Oh, I need to start posting paragraph long rants about how bad it was. <laughs> I would love to see you blog about it. I should start a blog, honestly. I, but until then, I will yell at an echo chamber of people that don't listen to me because they'd rather talk about JoJo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I've, I've been posting paragraph long rants, and only now does Ethan start reading the comics, and that's only because I posted a really, really funny panel of Cynthia blasting a um, Garatina. Yeah. <laughs> I, I totally agree with you that I, I would have liked to see more focus on blue and silver in the fire red leaf green arc. I was, yellow was this, cool. Yeah, I mean, the moments she got were nice. You know, I could always use more yellow though. Yeah. But, you know, red, Zark, he was kind of lose his confidence in himself for a brief while, but then it's like, oh, now I'm connecting with the actors. Ah, I gotta defeat Giovanni, but it's very, you know, typical shonen protagonist kind of arc. But like what everyone else is going to has so much more, you know, potential and it's like much more interesting, especially Silver trying to find that, figure out, find out who his father is. And then Blue, like losing her parents again right in front of her. I mean, uh, should have been like the focus of the arc. She should have been the protagonist of the arc. So really? Cool. But, Going through her like emotional journey. 
A, a little favorite of mine, even if it's will rant and rave about it, is when the public loses confidence in a hero. In a hero, after being emotionally damaged by the same event, puts aside all of their resentment towards these people that want to, that are crying for their blood, and one try to resolve the situation internally, but also externally. It's good. It's really, really good. I love Superman arcs that do that kind of thing. That's what makes Superman an interesting character because <laughs> he's afraid of failing. I, and I really think that they could have explored that with Blue. Blue has lost everything, and she's being confronted with people that haven't lost everything, but are afraid of it. And to do that, they're willing to kill a person that has lost everything. It's like there's so many moral dilemmas and issues and shades of gray that I guess yeah. Ruby and Sapphire Kasaka could have handled perfectly with the right blend of comedy and drama, but... In this arc, the only thing I enjoyed was the comedy, which my favorite part of the arc was everything to do with Kimberly, because it was there's a lot of references to the games, there's lots of references to uh, various fun, uh, like um, other regions, uh, Pokemon storage systems. I don't know, it just didn't resonate with me. Yeah. Oh, I think she's actually called Ultima in the Viz translations now that I think about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I just got to her yeah. character page. Yeah, actually, that is my favorite part of the arc, too. The training, like, she she gives to Red and Green. That was a lot of fun. My, one of my favorite tropes in comics, manga, and otherwise are friendly battles, in which yeah. nobody's really trying to win. They're just trying to show off their stuff to each other. Going towards a goal, but it's more like, oh, you did that, you clever son of a gun. Oh, you did that. Oh, that's wonderful. You've grown a lot. It's fun. It's it's great to see how they've both grown as characters, because Blue seems to incorporate a little bit more of, like, the little bit of humor that he had at the beginning. And it was cute. And I liked it. <laughs> yeah. And then it's gone. I want to see him develop. He doesn't, he, most of his development's off screen. I wanted to see a vulnerable blue. Yeah. I mean, we saw that in Lavender Town when, you know, he was controlled by Koga. But here, Professor Friggin' Oak is gone. And he, yeah. he does react to it, but he just gets mad. And it's like, well, that's easy. Whatever, you know? That's not something he would do, though. Because he's, he's such a calm, collected person at this point. Like, he doesn't get mad he tries to work out a solution he's the he's the straight man in in, in contrast to reds you know i'm going to run at the thing and hit it till it dies yeah. and uh, like, greens eh. hey how can i take advantage of this situation he's <laughs> like yeah let's think this through yeah he's the one that steps back and um and has people work things out for themselves and thinks things through and this one he's just like hit it till it dies <laughs> yeah oh <laughs> what like, you can go <laughs> At least that kind of uh, mentality was explored in Diamond, Pearl, and Platinum, yeah. which we should probably transition to. Well, we first have to talk about Emerald. 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 The return of the author is going to act like a fanboy. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell in the yellow arc when he's just like absolutely enthralled with the game because I like to add as many references as possible. Emerald, as I um, as I have described it to all of my friends, is a comprehensive guide to the ins and outs of the battle frontier and various uh, and every single strategy you need to beat this really honestly fun um, little addition to the um, to the Pokemon universe. And I guess there's a story there, too, occasionally, if you care about that sort of thing. But uh, how are you going to beat the Battle Pike? Well, here's how. What's the probability of picking up such and such item in uh, the Battle Pyramid? Well, here's how. Ever wondered just exactly how things work in the Battle Hall? Like, how, like, like what, what is mind? What is body? What is skill? What... This teaches yeah. you. I think it was really cool to see the manga explore, like, 
the challenges of the Battle Frontier and like the actual way like it's in the games, unlike in the anime where you know it's just like gym battles. And also, it was in Kanto for some reason. And also, Todd Snap wasn't there. (laughs) (laughs) My boy, Todd. I was so excited when Todd shows up in this, and I was like, "Wait, wait, from like Pokemon Snap." (laughs) What? Yeah! What? And then the ending is him getting sent to the island! I just don't! I was like, well, there's no way he'll stick around! He sticks around! Oh my god! Yeah, I was so excited! <laughs> he's, he's so good! Yeah. I mean, the reporter angle to it is really great because it gives Emerald somebody to bounce off yeah. of. Yeah! And Emerald, Emerald bounces off him and the absent crystal, which is so fun! And I love Emerald's approach to Pokemon, and I love how they explored how Pokemon attach to their trainers through battle. I mean, of, of course, like, I mean, yes, the main focus is the author who loves the Battle Frontier, according to his blurbs, and if the, uh, how he handled the, uh, the Sin of Battle Frontiers and the indication, it's his favorite part of all the games. Because <laughs> the Battle Frontier and Sinnoh, he just is an afterthought. <laughs> but in here, he's also focusing on a character that doesn't seem to like Pokemon, but Pokemon like him. Yeah. And the Pokemon are, like, competing to show him the most care, and it was so cute, and, oh my god, and I I wish they would have touched on that in the black-white arc, but it was like, oh, this is so cute. And, like, Emerald as a character, I I don't, he kind of frustrates me, but I love how Pokemon react to him so much. I'm jealous, though. Like, well, first off, (laughs) we don't have any Pokemon, but if we did... I would want them to, like, make me food and, like, oh, no, no, like, oh, he's feeling sick. I'm going to make him a smoothie. Oh, yeah? Well, I'm going to make him a food salad. Oh, yeah? Well. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just, like, pull off these extremely complicated dishes (laughs) and Todd's just, like... <laughs> also, a little bit of fanboy moment. The ho- the hotel that he's staying at is the same design as the as Ken Sugimori's concept for a hotel in the Capsule Monsters uh, production notes that were presented to Shigeru Miyamoto before the game was greenlit. God, they pull from everything. Everything, so awesome. baby. Like the layout of the bed and the little capsule machine where you um, heal your Pokemon are right is right next to it. Same layout. Odd. Oh, cool. Yeah, it, especially like this is I don't know, fifteen years after that. Uh, it's it's really nice. Um, I actually enjoyed Emerald as a character since it was an angry little child. That's a good mm-hmm. description. Yeah, and uh, like this, like as much as he frustrated me, yeah, that is how an angry little child would act, it is. and it, it is. And he, but he knows more than everybody else. So I, there's there's lots of stuff that uh has kids, you know, being smarter than the than the adults. You know, that's that's a that's a trope in a lot of ki- uh, American kids manga and a lot of American. Uh, kids' comics and kids' cartoons where, oh, the adults are so dumb, but the kid knows everything that's going on. This has a child that acts like a child that does know more than everybody else and uh, does have the right goal in mind, but for the completely wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. And you can absolutely despise him if you want because he's an angry little kid and he knows what's going on. And he's very smart, but he's not emotionally self-aware. So Mm -hmm. that's a huge reason why... You know, he gets into fits and, like, he kind of, you know, loses in, uh, what's it called? He loses his, he loses his name, Tucker? Yeah, yeah. Tucker, who, yeah. I love Tucker's evolution as a character. It was very, very small and very much an afterthought, but, um, like, they, they just kept revealing little bits of Tucker as time went on. Like, he's originally a gag character that wants Emerald out <laughs> because he has broken tradition and I'm too fabulous for this! But, and like, he's always a joke character and he's always doing the wrong thing at first. 
But then you, but then like more layers start peeling away. He's extremely competent. He's extremely intelligent. He knows how to admit when he's wrong. And most of all, he knows more than Emerald. And Emerald has to accept that. Yeah. And Emerald doesn't want to accept that. Because like it or not, Tucker, no matter how he acts, is actually a mature, rational adult. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a great lesson that's, that Emerald realizes in his battle with Spencer. When, like, he has to trust that his Pokemon will be able to defeat Spencer's Pokemon while he goes out, you know, has to go off to do this other thing. And that's a big deal for Emerald's character because he has trust issues. He doesn't really trust anyone. And he doesn't really think he ha he doesn't think he has any friends, anyone else to rely on but himself. But, you know, that's a really important growing moment for him, you know, to be able to like, Okay, I trust you guys. You are my friend. Also, Scott is the greatest character in Pokemon <laughs> canon. He was wonderful. My, my biggest pet peeve with uh, Olraz is, yes, the removal of the Battle Frontier, of course, but the removal of Scott, that beautiful man who's <laughs> everywhere. And like, like it, it, he, he's, he's, he's absolutely everywhere. He's at the end of the world. He knows everything that's going on. He's mysterious. He's enigmatic. But all he's using this information for is making a little playground for everybody. Yeah. yeah. Like, he keeps showing up and you're like, this guy's, I don't know about this guy. I don't know. Oh. Oh, okay. He's just making the battle frontier. Like, he, right. he, he's just sneaking around the Pokemon, uh, the Pokemon Association's blimp, a very high security thing, risking his life just to, you know, just to gather information. So he can make his Battle Frontier better! <laughs> He's an interesting, cool character, and I love his design. I, I wish that he would come back in something or other. Also, I love the little explanations for how they got the legendaries. Because, you know, it, it's, it's always interesting to see, like, normal Pokemon. Because the Battle Frontier trainers were the very, very first trainers in the games that used legendaries. Like, that's a very, very big deal. How do they get them? Well, here's how. I can, yeah. can't wait to see how Sun and Moon handles Annabelle. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. God, that was so botched in the games. Mm. She well, still has her Raikou. Yeah. Like, she got her team from the Battle Frontier. How does it work? It's strange, but... Annabelle's yeah. cool. I like her. Mm, I, I thought she was going to have an arc where she realizes that talent isn't everything. Mm -hmm. But she didn't. She's apparently right. Yeah. Ta talent is all that matters. You, she wasn't shown what was wrong. The arc was kind of rushed, though, because they kind of had to get everybody in one place, so... Yeah, I, oh. and that's, I guess, one of my bigger criticisms of the arc is that the ending feels a lot more rushed, but, you know, I think Climax is pretty cool, with, like, all the Pokédex holders using the special moves against, like, this big Kyogre-like thing made of water, which is pretty neat. And, like, the stuff with, with Archie being, like, rescued by Surd, uh, and, like, turning to Kyle Hideout was in an interesting, like, setup for Diamond and Pearl and Platinum, yeah. as well as, uh, you know, what will later happen with them in Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire. Yeah, it really sets up, it, what Pyro and Leaf Green didn't do was set up Sir as a character. Yeah. And Sir as a character in Diamond Pearl Platinum is absolutely kind of horrifying. Yeah. He's a man who will do it. Like, she. Well, she, I, she, he, it's, it's always been, she looks very ambiguous. Um, this translation says she. Yeah, it's all, in all translations, it's a she. Mm -hmm. At first it was ambiguous, and one of the translations I was reading is played off as a joke, and then it wasn't. Like, it's basically evil er Colress. This person is willing to do anything for knowledge, and it's kind of bad. Yeah. Sir's <laughs> first appearance, Sir's first appearance, like, as the Team Galactic grunt, freaked me the heck out. 
because the, the style suddenly shifted to what it was in Ruby and Sapphire. It's super detailed, and the character expressions are like, there's lots of shading, there's muscle, and just for this one panel of this grunt looming over Dia, saying, oh, this is a Pokédex, isn't it? How interesting. And Dia's like, oh, God! <laughs> I think that's a great transition into Diamond, Pearl, and Platinum. And uh, we're already over two hours, so we got to really hurry up to get to the rest of these arts. Oh, but I love these characters. Oh, gosh. Uh, but Diamond, Pearl, and Platinum, you know, I said before that Ruby and Sapphire, I think, might be the best written art. Diamond and Pearl is probably my favorite art because I really connected with the trio of Diamond, Pearl, and Platinum. Like, I really love their friendship and their moments together. And I love the comedy of the arc so much. But it's really the dynamic between Diamond and Pearl and Platinum. Like, it, they feel like such, like, a close group of friends that really change each other and develop their own rapport with each other. And, like, there's this moment later when Platinum realizes that Diamond and Pearl aren't the bodyguards that were assigned to her. And I kind of been lying with her, and you know she has to process this, and then she comes out and says, "You know, I've been lying to you guys in my own ways, you know, for a long time, and you know I have to apologize for that as well." Remember that time I, really... I said I didn't laugh? That was a lie. Remember that time I said I wasn't tr- pretending to be a minor? That was a lie. <laughs> Remember that time where I said it was adorable? It was so I cute. almost died. If if anybody's going to make a rich girl character that doesn't know anything about the outside world. This is the how Yeah, to. we've got some good reference material for you here. Yeah. yeah. It's like it's, it's the bicycling storyline. <laughs> <laughs> I know how to ride a bike. Almost dies. <laughs> All right, I have the hang of riding now. How do I stop? Use the brakes! What are these things you call brakes? That's like the actual line. <laughs> That's so good. And she's got a deadpan expression. Mm, I love her. And she's like, then, then later you think that she's learned her lesson. No, she goes, she, she, she tries skiing. I just, I, I love how she just, all these things she hasn't tried, she just throws herself into. Mm-hmm. She's just It's honestly neat. admirable. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. you want to be like her, but at the same time, you laugh at her exploits, but you're like, you know what? This is actually a valuable life lesson about following your dreams and experiences and how knowledge is nothing without experience. Like, let's say, I know how computers work. And I tried to jump into computer programming. Oh God, it's not something. It's not something I enjoy. So I can say, hey, yeah, yeah, I know a lot about computers, but because of my experience, I can say that I am not a computer person. Yeah, I really love Platinum's character and her like arc. You know, she she starts off as this very stuck up, you know, hoity rich girl character, but like she grows like more independent, also like more like humble as the story goes on and through interactions with Diamond and Pearl. And, you know, I, uh, it's also like this entire development of all three of those characters together that really gets me. Like, I think like one moment that really got me is like, you know, when they're all separate, they're all going to, se- they all like separate out to do their own things in order to like team up and be galactic later on. And they all think about like how their day starts out and like their routine and like, you know, uh, Pearl wakes up first and like he breakfast or whatever and like he yells at Diamond for, cause he, Diamond always sleeps late and all like they all, they all think about how their day starts off and cause they're now all waking up separately and like after thinking about it they all like cry and it's like ah that that's a i think that's the moment it really like cemented that those characters is like my favorite yeah they're 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 such a good trio yeah oh my my favorite my favorite thing about that scene is it really highlights the difference between their journey and everybody else's journey like their journey obviously to from like a 
summary standpoint is just a bunch of people on a trip rather than an adventure with a big goal in mind like everybody else's. And it really cements that with how they treat the Pokédex. For every other character, when the Pokédexes start beeping when they're all together, that's like, oh yes, all three of them are coming together, and evil shall be vanquished! Oh goody, this character's alive! Oh, I was so, I'm so relieved! Oh boy, they're finally meeting for the first time! Everything's going to be okay! But for them, it's not like some big triumphant sound. It's just an annoying sound that lets them know when everybody's in the same room. Yeah. And they just call it the morning sound. But when it's gone, they start breaking down because their Pokedex is beeping together. It's not an indication of the fa- of like my friends are here, everything's going to be okay, or hey, somebody uh, somebody out here is like me on a similar journey. They're just like, oh, this just means everyone's in the same room. This means that we're all together. All my friends are As here. We should be. Oh no. I I, I want to give a, a shout out to the the current Pokemon editor who who's been editing the maybe partway through Crystal. But she had to mm-hmm. rewrite a lot of the comedy, and that yeah. a lot of oh, the pun must have been a major yeah. challenge. Yeah, and a lot of it is like pun based. So she had to work really hard, and there will be sometimes there's uh, images that they'll like bring out an item, mm-hmm. and it makes sense in Japanese, but she has to figure it out in English how to figure. Okay, yeah. something with they're holding an orange and and a Pikachu. Like, how are we gonna get this to be a pun? And, so, like, I I just found one randomly, but he goes, speaking of Pokemon, speaking of Pokemon, we travel day and night, don't we? That we do. Some Pokemon you can only meet at night, so it's okay to stay up all night looking for them. Um, but it's night, Pearl. It night wear you out. Yeah, if I stay up all night, I'm sleeping the next morning. I know I am, and I feel really beat the next day, like Pinsir! Huh? You mean because Pinsir's a stag beetle Pokemon? Nice try. Horrible fun. Oh, God. Um, the anonymous scanlation version of that actually made me laugh. It's one of the very few ones that made me laugh. If I can find it, I would love to. But they did something great with the pincer line. Uh, let me see if I can find what chapter this is. Right. So it's, it's volume 10 of... Yeah, it's volume 10, Adventure 430. All right, Adventure 430, then. All right. Okay, let's go on an adventure. Chung Yi did a pretty good job with the... um. I haven't, I haven't read a, the Monzai and Viz. I, I honestly think that the great thing about having various translations is that for Diamond, Pearl, Platinum, so you can just go back and see how everybody translates the joke. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, although I really wish that, um, you know, cultural awareness, blah, 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 blah. I think, I wish that Viz would have the, uh, um, like the original joke off to the side to tell you how it works. I think that would clutter up the page. It doesn't in the anonymous scanlations, though. If they could, Maybe have it like an extra at the end or something. Yeah, like yeah. translation notes, yeah, like in uh, like in the like in the Excel Saga volumes. Like there's like some editorials at the back of the volumes where it's like uh, we're explaining some cultural references and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, those are always fun. It's four thirty, right? It's in the Platinum Art then. Oh, what was I gonna say about the Monsai? Oh yeah, another great thing about it is that bad puns in English don't work exactly the same way they work in Japanese. As in, um, bad puns that are funny usually aren't just like, were, uh, aren't usually just like homophones, you know, words that sound like another, or with, um, with something more added at the end. Usually those are just kind of the puns where you're like, you didn't even try. Yeah. Usually they're like, you insert the same word in another word into something that's going on. I don't know, Monster just doesn't translate well. 
So I, I, I'm surprised that Viz was so adamant about translating Diamond and Pearl, considering the fact that um, that's a major part of the arc and the characters. Yeah, it was it was a uh, an uphill battle, but uh, yeah, I, I think I think the editor she worked really hard on me. A number of them yeah. made me laugh out loud. I mean, they're all kind of dumb, but mm-hmm. I think they're supposed to be kind of dumb. So, you yeah. know, it's that, this is awful. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, I shouldn't laugh at this, but this is bad. Yeah, uh, but I love those. Those are my favorite. It's like, I'm a bad pun connoisseur. <laughs> Dad jokes and bad puns are my life. Yeah, I, I just, I really like the humor uh, in, in Diamond and Pearl, the Mansa style, and I think it worked very well in translation, like the bad puns and stuff, and I really have to applaud the translator for that, you know, for making those work. It has to be just so challenging. I found it. Here we go. We can go on an adventure any time of day. Yeah. We're out after dark because we can only meet this Pokemon during the night, right? Well... We're completely in the dark about this Pokemon. So this is just a shot in the dark. Pearl falls over. <laughs> also also something I kind of like. Oh my god, I had a thing that I liked, but now I can't say it. Anyway, but if we stay up too long, we'll sleep the day away. Yep. I'm an early bird, so it's hard for me to stay up. Pinsir! Yeah, yeah, I know. You're saying an early bird gets the bug type Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> It, a, a lot of like bad puns that that work like that are funny in English usually come from uh, phrases that everybody knows. So I think that it was kind of interesting that later in the anonymous scanlations that a bunch of losers on 4chan who don't have much human contact started, you know, putting these shared experiences that most English speakers know into this. That was good. <laughs> Once again, Pokemon bringing people together <laughs> and making losers on 4chan do something with their lives. God bless. <laughs> As much as I rip on them, I do go on there a lot. My po- my Pokemon community experience is the people on Slash VP. They're very different when it comes to adventures, because um, some people don't like Diamond, Pearl, Platinum because friendship re- Who needs friends? Who do I say? Who needs friends? Uh, but a lot of Diamond, Pearls, and Platinum is the fact that you can relate to these characters because that's how friendships work in real life. Yeah. Uh, the great thing about Cyrus's re- transformation at the end is because it's completely believable. He- he's a person that never had any friends as a child and didn't really understand how human beings could complete each other. He thought that human beings were incomplete people and they needed to work to become wonderful. And he thought that the- everything could be boiled down to a simple equation. However, he, fi- he finds this trio of people that just get in his way at every turn. Not actually stop him. They, I don't think they actually manage to, you know, land anything more than a glancing blow on him. Mm-hmm. But he starts seeing the way that they interact with each other, the way they complete each other. And one, it fits into his formula. Two, it's friendship. Something he's never had. It's so <laughs> good. They're all good. <laughs> Cyrus was a really cool villain. Like, he was, like, seriously intimidating. And, mm-hmm. yeah. like, he was a great con. His seriousness was a great contrast for, like, the lighthearted horn of the rest of the arc. And I thought he worked really well as an antagonist. I never thought that I would be legitimately terrified, one, at the Diamond and Pearl arc, two, when the first confrontation with a villain is a guy asking if another guy if he's seen his favorite Sentai. Was it Sentai or Tokotatsu? I think it's a mix of both. Sentai or Tokotatsu show. <laughs> it's like, hey, have you seen, what's the name of the, sh- of the show that he likes that's based off of Red's Pokemon that, uh, um, go- Team that- Omega 3. 
I think. Yeah, Proteam Omega-3 or something like that. It's like, ha- have you seen Proteam o- Omega-3? What's great about it is that, one, Sentai shows are based off of friendship. Two, the ending is kind of like a dumb Sentai show where the villain learns about the true power of friendship. But it's woven throughout the story in such a wonderful way that it just works. Oh, so sorry, I think it's Proteam Hexa-3, according to one of these pages I did. <laughs> Oh, I, can't, nice. I can't even remember. And Heart Gold Soul Silver it seems to be a reference. Pro Team Hex yeah. 3. Also, I love how, the fact that it just brings people together. Like, the, the show brings people together. It was it was also mentioned in the games. It was mentioned in Oraz. I, f- I found, uh, there's, there's a box of um, things that isn't in the original Emerald games, and they are called Pro Team Hexa or Pro Team Omega, and they're obviously meant to be based off of the, the show from the manga. Wow. Which it, it, um, it's Something a, kind of manga influenced the game. Yeah, it's a very, very little known thing, because it's, it's just like one of those... It, it looks like um, all the other boxes in the game, and you don't press A on things anymore, because there's nothing really interesting in the trash cans, and there hasn't been since uh, Gold and Silver. But it's in there! <laughs> it brings people together in Ruben and Oras, just like it brought Rotom and, and Dia together. Gosh, it also highlights how Dia and uh, Cyrus are similar but different. What I loved about Dia as a character is that he was so similar yet so dissimilar to Cyrus. Yeah. There are people that have very dopey expressions on their faces. They constantly seem to have the same emotions and are more content to observe rather than butt in. But the thing about Dia is that he has a very, very optimistic attitude because he has friends. And while Cyrus seems to have purged his emotions, or at the very least, you know, shoved them deep, deep down until they come out during the... Um, during the speech scene, which is actually legitimately terrifying, and I swear that they used Osama Tezuka's message to Adolf as an inspiration. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I swear that some of the um, uh, motions that Cyrus is making... Well, Osama Tezuka in that book, that's he's making his art style more realistic for that book, since it's obviously about World War II. That's a very, very serious subject. Hitler becomes more and more cartoonish the longer he talks, making his ideas seem r- the ravings of a madman. But in Diamond and Pearl, where the artist is making his art style more cartoony to fit with the tone of the series, when Cyrus is talking, the art becomes a lot more defined. There's more shading, every single muscle is visible, and it's honestly kind of horrifying. It's just the it, it's the inverse of the of Hitler's speech and message to Adolf. It's cool. <laughs> I, I want to I want to correct myself. It is Pro Team Omega, but there's okay, another okay. series, I guess, in. Hark Gold Soul Silver, which is, oh, yeah. is Pro Team Hexa 3. But the, the main yeah, one is yeah. Pro Team Omega. Yeah, that's the one that Silver watches at the end, and it's adorable. I think we should transition to Heart Gold and Soul Silver. Oh, we should, because right. that's a fun one. It's a remake, we're revisiting the characters, let's have some fun kind of thing. Yeah. They don't try to build up the characters much, but Silver does get some character development, since the arc mostly focuses on him, oddly enough. And it highlights the strengths of every single character. Like, you start it with Gold at the Pokelathon, and how he interacts with Pokemon. He's very, very aloof, but he loves his Pokemon and works with them a lot. Except for, you know, his, his, his poor Togepi. Well, I think Gold is the heart of the arc, because, like, his relationship mm. with Togepi, you know, is kind of what ultimately convinces Arcus that, like, humans aren't all bad, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't need to, like, destroy you all. Yeah. <laughs> but the soul of the arc... <laughs> Is Silver, because he's the one that drives the narratives. Yeah. And it, it, takes, uh, it, it works. I think it's intentional, too. Although, the best part of the arc, in my opinion, is Crystal chasing around Arceus. Because 
it just cements her as a character. She's, she's gotta catch them all. Got, one, gotta catch them all. She's in the face of the gods themselves. Crystal's like, I'ma capture you because I want to know more about you. I want to help you. I need to know everything and relate to everyone because she's she's the world's mom. <laughs> she didn't have much of a focus in the arc, but it doesn't feel bad because what she does in the arc is fun. She's the first person to meet Arceus and the first person to change Arceus' mind about human beings. I mean, she get, almost catches Arceus in a Pokeball. Nobody in the arc manages to do that. Yeah. Like, that's a god. <laughs> Nobody's managed to, like, capture, like, the godly Pokemon and Pokeballs at this point in time. And she does it. It's right off the bat. It's like, kick! Hello! <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty awesome. It's pretty great. Also, seeing the Elite Four again was fun. Also, nice thing. The time-honored tradition of Professor Oak being a complete jerk, unlike he is in the <laughs> games and the anime... <laughs> I mean, he was always, he was a jerk at the beginning. They kind of mellowed out for a bit, but Gold always brought out the worst in him. Heart Gold and Soul yeah. Silver. Gold is literally the replacement, and Gold's too stupid to figure out that he is. Everyone else was busy, so we had no choice but to use Gold. It's like, I want to die. <laughs> did you work on this one, the lettering for I did. Okay. What did you think of, of all the main villains in one place? Because... Cool. Uh, it, very cool. Very cool. So, like, imagining as you're lettering this stuff, like you're you're reading the translation as it comes, kind of, and like you're excited to figure out what happens. Like, since you do seem to like this, what was your reaction when you saw Giovanni and Price and Lance come back? I was like, what, 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 what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My first, I was in math class, and I, did it, and I was like, oh, it's petrol. It's so obvious. <laughs> and petrol's like, oh. That's Giovanni! And I'm like, oh! <laughs> Let me teach you to pull me to put my iPad down. It's, pretty, it's a pretty great moment. I do have mixed feelings about Price coming back, mm -hmm. just because I think, like, the ending of him, like, being just His end was nice. lost in time, you know, in, mm -hmm. at the end of Gold and Silver, was like, you know, it, it, were, it kind of was bittersweet, but I think it was also kind of satisfying, just leave off at that mm -hmm. but and then you know he comes back and you know now he's just i guess he's reformed but kind of it's kind of weird like he says he's gonna go back to his gym now and it's like are they gonna like accept you doing that like we have, <laughs> probably we have the international go police first <laughs> we have the international police and contrary to what the anime in the game may set up we do arrest people if they break the law. Yeah. So that Sucks was, to suck. That was kind of strange, but, you know, it was cool seeing, you know, Giovanni kind of be at Price's throat for, like, kidnapping his son, just mm -hmm. one scene. It's like, it's also kind of see, like, Lance now also has kind of had to put into role of, like, you know, he, know, he knows what's going on. He has to, like, get all these people to work together mm -hmm. yeah. and, like, to stop the Neo Tier Rocket from, like, screwing everything up. So it's like, yeah. It's pretty, it's really cool to see all the villains come back and like see their character arcs continue. I want an entire chapter uh, about Giovanni figuring out that Price was doing this all under his nose and managed to get... I, I'm, I'm still not very clear on this, but I'm pretty sure the Mask of Ice's uh, friendly child brainwashing program was spearheaded by Team Rocket, as in all the pictures they of the past they were wearing Team Rocket uniforms yeah. and grunts were patrolling the corridors. I would love for them to go into something as in... How um Giovanni created this thing, how did he let this thing happen? Yeah. And how would he react to this when he figured out that his son was in this? And maybe expound upon his... You know, his son thinks that Giovanni's a, a jerk for running Team Rocket, but 
we never really went into his reaction of his father, ironically enough, is the reason why he never had a father. It, it, like, everything bad that's ever happened in his life is because of Giovanni, and I want to see Giovanni coming to terms wait, with wait, that. Wait a second, if I think this... Oh. Oh, this is... Uh -oh. oh, my bad. Oh. <laughs> Who took my son? Oops. Oh, wait. Oh. I took my son. <laughs> I'm a bad father. You're supposed to forgive him because Blue Blue learned how to evolve a ride on from a book. <laughs> ten out of ten. <laughs> I thought Silver was the evolution guy. <laughs> you all suck, and I hate you. But it was cool to see them again, and it was cool to see the villains becoming heroes, and then them being irredeemable at the end, anyways. Outside of well, Lance and Price, kind of. Yeah. Lance is a good boy, and he deserves a, a pat on the head, and, I don't know, a little dragon plushie. <laughs> <laughs> he just wanted to be loved. I, I want Lance and uh, Yellow to hang out, since they're both from uh, Reading Forest. They apparently yeah. have. But I, like, I want to see them, like, hanging out, and, like, Yellow's like, oh, yeah, these are all my friends, and Lance is like, I feel so out of place here, guys. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I would like to see Yellow and Lance meet again, you uh, know, because, like, I don't think they have met each other again since the end of the uh, Yellow arc, and it's clear that, you know, Lance does still have some resentment towards Yellow, because he, like, one of the reasons, like, Petra was able to get the drop on him is because he disguised himself as Yellow. Yeah. Well, and uh, one of the translations I was reading, it said that Lance says that he took on the face of somebody he trusted, mm. and then it shows a picture of Yellow, and I was like, in the Viz translations, like, the only person who ever bested me or something. Huh. That's interesting. Also, I want to see uh, Lance, Giovanni, and um, Yellow all sitting in a room together with N. <laughs> Just... <Yeah. laughs> I, that is my dream awkward dinner. <laughs> the Reformed Villains Club. Not the Reformed Villains Club, just people who can listen to Pokemon's voices. <laughs> I, I want to see him argue, like, well, no, this Pokemon said, no, it didn't! Are you dead? It's like it's like yeah, the it's the He's like yeah, the Pokemon said this, but I don't care. And an end just starts crying, <laughs> and Yellow's just patting him on the head. <laughs> He's like you, you can hear the voices of your Pokemon, yes, you don't listen. Speaking of N, let's talk about the black and white art. Why don't Yellow and N have merry adventures together? <laughs> what is their connection? One of the weirdest things about the dark, if I, if I can connect Yellow and N, in the games, it's very, very clear that N was brought up in the wild by Pokemon. But in the manga, even though like they have the whole Viridian Forest thing, every ten years a child is born with, um, the children are born with the you know power to talk to Pokemon, Gestus is not from the Viridian Forest, and didn't grow up in the Viridian Forest, he's shuffled around from foster home to foster home. It's like, you have a reason in continuity for this. Why did you not use it? Yeah. I, I love how they handled Team Plasma, because the games and the anime didn't really go the whole all the way. And, and the manga, you can argue, didn't either go the whole way with the idea of releasing Pokemon from their Pokeballs. And it was especially kind of, you know, kind of invalidated by the fact that, oh, it was actually psychic powers that were influencing people to do this. Yes, the yeah. desire was there, but we're not going to touch on that. Well, Team Plasma was very hypocritical, and I think that the idea that they were hypocritical comes off the strongest in the manga. Yes, that the, they do explore the idea of them being hypocritical, but none of them actually explored the deep moral question that was supposed to be, like, the selling point for the games. Is it wrong 
to hold Pokemon in their Pokeballs. We have a bunch of examples in the manga of Pokemon doing this and this and this and bonding with people. In fact, in the manga, it's actually more justified for Pokemon to be with trainers because Pokemon actually can in, can not listen to trainers, can um, control Pokeballs, and usually are only captured because they want to grow as Pokemon, of course. And they kind of let themselves be captured. But <laughs> now, let's, 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 let's not explore that. It's just not. Yeah. I mean, it's a good arc. It's a really good arc. It handles the question better than any other part of the franchise, which to me seemed very, very insulting, as the games dodged the question by saying, oh, they're hypocrites anyways, doesn't matter, yeah. and we're going to give you the same speeches that seem like they've been in literally every game. I've seen that speech in every game. Same thing. Just with different words, kind of. Seems like a different translation every time. And then the anime just didn't. <laughs> He just didn't. I find the presentation of N in the manga particularly interesting because he's introduced, like, he is kind of warped. Like, it's clear that, like, you know, he believes, like, Pokemon are being, like, subjugated and wrong- and wronged by being betrainers. He's kind of a... A sheltered child. <laughs> well, I think he's, like, along the lines of, like, an eccentric, uh... Shun? Not shunning. He's like obsessed with this idea, and he's like yeah. to the point to zealotry. Yeah, he's he's zealous. Yeah, yeah, he's very zealous about this idea. It's like <laughs> to the point he like he isn't going to he doesn't listen to reason, and he's like acts very irrationally. But at the same time, like you can see that he clearly can connect with Pokemon, and Pokemon do trust him. In uh, scene discussed earlier, he has White in the uh, Ferris wheel, and he's like he convinces Hertepic to like come onto his side. It's like you know he kind of completely breaks White's belief that like she and Hertepic were good friends, and like she really knew the best interests of her Pokemon. And it's like man. That, that is a really devastating, like, scene, a really dark scene. Then's portrayal is very interesting, because he's more overly villainous in the manga, I think. Whereas in the games and anime, you know, it seems like... Oh, he, he was, was just, just an unwitting of, pawn the whole time. He yeah, was he was... perfect. Yeah. Yeah, he's more like a gets as his pawn, but he has more blame in the manga, and it's like, has more responsibility for, like, the way he thinks and what he does to people. So I found that very interesting. He's much, he had a much more villainous portrayal than in any other iteration I've seen. My favorite thing about N in the manga is that, is that contrary to like every other appearance where in the games he's it's just, it's just kind of the annoying guy that yaps at you for a little bit that says some things about Pokemon and is kind of weepy. And in the anime where he's one of Ash's companions and it's just kind of the butt of some jokes. Mm-hmm. In the manga, he's absolutely, he's absolutely unpredictable because you don't know what he's going to do. He values, um, he thinks that human lives are absolutely worthless, so when he forces White into the, into the Ferris wheel, you legitimately start fearing for her life, even though he's talking about delightful things like Pokemon being nice, and then at one point, like, the conversation turns pretty light. He's like, oh yes, I saw how happy the Pokemon were when they were dancing on stage. And then, the, the, like, the shading starts becoming a little bit brighter, but then things start taking a turn for the worse, but cementing N's unpredictability as a character. He's so devoted to this cause that he'll go to any lengths. You don't know what he's going to do, you don't know where his mind is working, but you know it's going to be bad. Yeah, he performs, like, kind of mental gymnastics to make every single positive thing about a trainer and Pokemon, like, connecting seem like it's actually a bad thing. Yeah. Like, with that example of, like, the Pokemon performing on stage... They looked happy, but N is like just fine. But it's like 
you know, they've been like brainwashed into like thinking that's happiness or something. The best part about that was that the um, I'm sure everyone here's played Black and White. Is that the the story that White tells? That's directly from the games. That um, the story of the little, little little polar bear that dances on the stage. That's that's in the games. That's the reason for the musical's existence, and even makes reference to it at one point as a reason for maybe for maybe shaking his beliefs. So I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be since this is from the games, unfallible logic. It's going to be what can, it's going to be him growing as a character and you know maybe questioning his questioning his beliefs. No, he's just going to perform mental gymnastics and maybe possibly kill you. <laughs> he was scary. I think Black and White also has a really strong uh, narrative in terms of how it brings everything together and how it uses all its characters. I think that out of all the arc, it best uses the gym leaders, Elite Four, and the champion. Whereas in all the other arcs, like the gym leaders might get a lot of focus, but the Elite Four might get the shaft. All the characters from the game seem all were very well incorporated in the arc, I think. Also, Berg is hot. Yes. <laughs> Berg, even if you are straight, my children, you cannot deny that Berg is absolutely fabulous and very hot. And Iris is wrong for saying that his art is bad. <laughs> <laughs> Iris is a way better character in the Pokemon oh, Avengers. Yes. Oh, she does like use some of the jokes that she used in the anime. But here they're funny! They have better context and they're not as hypocritical. Yeah, she's a kid that doesn't take anything seriously, thinks that she's that she's right about everything, and she has the firepower to prove it! <laughs> That's cool! Also, the entire Castellia City arc wasn't in the Koro Koro issues, if I remember correctly. Neither was it in the Viz translations, I think. They are in the graphic novel. Yeah, they're um they're not in the mini ones, are they? Not in the, I don't think they're in the mini ones, but yeah. they are in like the collected like Full volumes. Yeah, that, that kind of made me sad because one, that's the introduction to Iris as a character. Two, that's the accumulation of the few times. Oh, actually, no, th that is in the mini volumes too. Oh, good, because that wasn't originally in Koro Koro. Good on you, Viz, for importing something. Because that's a lot of character-building moments right there. Also sets up some of the minor characters that appear during the climax instead of the gym leaders. One of the coolest things in the games was the gym leaders all coming together for once and being proactive against the threat. But that's par for the course in the manga. So what is the manga going to do? A bunch of minor characters from the games that had a slightly significant role in both the manga and the games coming together to fight the threat. Yeah. Because gym leaders are captured. That was cool. I also love the gender Jeffrey. <laughs> I always thought he was really funny as a kid. I was like, oh, that's the boss. <laughs> All right. I think we could probably go on more on this arc, but I, I think we should really just rush to the finish line here. Yeah, because this, this is the part that isn't completely out yet. Only you've read Oraz. I've read Black 2, White 2, and I don't think you've read... No, you've read Oraz. A little bit, right? Uh, no, sorry. I have not read Black and White or Ores. Okay. You, you sad child. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Wait, I, wait, I, wait, I'm, wait, I'm wait. actually right on... So so for Black and White, I'm on mm -hmm. uh, my local library's website. Like, do you guys have the book? Can I, can I place these on hold? Ooh, I can! <laughs> hmm. Yay. Go to the Yay. library later today. Remember, kids, the interlibrary loan is your friend. Except that no store in the country actually carries Jack Cole's plastic man. So that, that really sucks. Thanks, local library system. <laughs> At least I got Starman. And Pokemon. Yeah. It takes a while, but it works. So, oh. Black 2, White 2 was just released the first volume of it uh, in January. And there's only, and as we discussed before, this was the last graphic novel, the last full Tonkabon released in Japan, too. 
but finally now, after like three years, they're finally going to be continuing forward with it. But uh, just God. based on it so far, I remember when I was reading it the first time, when it was just scanlated, I wasn't into it. I thought that Black 2, uh, translate, he's renamed as Blake in the this translation, which mm-hmm. kind of makes more sense than just calling the character Black 2. How is a character popular with girls? And simultaneously named Lack Two. Yeah, <laughs> not Black Two. Lack Two. Yeah, that's not even his code name because he's a secret agent. That's his yeah. name. Yeah, I'm really intrigued by the secret agent thing. Like, okay, wait, so so he works with Looker. Oh, that's pretty cool. Wait, is he like how old is he? Is he like ten years old? He's twelve. 12. Oh, sorry, he's twelve. <laughs> yeah, they actually make a reference to the character's age very early on, instead of just revealing it later or in uh, character biographies that they do sometimes. I myself was a- absolutely loved the concept. I, I love I love stuff like Lupin the Third, James Bond, just um, weird, crazy secret agent thief stuff. Green was one of my favorite characters because of her cool spy gadgets and. Nobody can catch her. She's super cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was very disappointed with how Looker was handled because he was he was slightly competent in Platinum, but played off as a little bit of a joke, but he could hold his own better than most of the characters. He beat the Unova, like, gym leaders, every single one, fair and square, with only Krogunk. And he worked his way into the finals of the Elite Four Championship, but not because he was Interpol, off of his own power. He made mm-hmm. it into, like, the final three, and then he's just a complete joke in this one, and Lactu just shows him up and every, everything that he does. And I'm like, oh. Yeah, I think that's the reason why I didn't like mm-hmm. Lactu, is, or Blake, is that, you know, I like Looker, and he's like totally clown, looking, making Looker look like a clown, and like showing him like as being incompetent and whatever, and I'm like, you know what, get off your high horse, guy. <laughs> Looker's cool. He is cool. He he's he's me- the Zenigata of Pokemon. Yeah, he is. Extremely competent, except when it comes to Lupin. <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorite little uh, things that somebody wrote up on a 4chan slash co. Somebody wanted to see an imaginary battle between uh, Batman and Lupin the Third. It ends with Batman and Lupin in, uh, surrounded by like various gadgets, cuffs, every single one of Batman's utility belts, uh, both of them panting with, for breath, and Zenigata walking by with um, with the Joker in handcuffs saying, Ah, oh, finally! Something easier than Lupin! That's great. <laughs> it was wonderful. Somebody made a picture of it, too. I actually really, really like Lactu as a character when he's not doing his secret agent stuff. I think he's a... I, I think it's the fact that the school set... that It's a school setting. I love school settings that have um just odd things thrown in the mix, like secret agents. It reminds me of Magic Kaido, if anybody's read yeah. that. Oh, yes. I am a big Kaido Kid fan. I am too. He's, no matter no matter what V Lord says, he's the best character in Detective yes, Conan. Yes, and he so can go leave. You want to know? Anyway, you want to know something really sad? So what? when I started reading Detective Conan, I was like sixteen, and Kaito Kid yeah. was sixteen. I'm thirty two. Oh. He's seventeen, oh. <laughs> and I saw my huge crush on him. He's so good. <laughs> Oh, yeah, my crush on Ruby is starting to become creepy. <laughs> hey, yeah. it, start, it started when I was the same age as him. Don't worry. It happens to us all. I, it ha- yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm gonna be, a cre- I'm gonna be creepy all the taku. But yeah, uh, Lactu's relationship with the girls in his class is funny. Mm-hmm. I think that the whole premise is very, very interesting. While they do play off the brainwashing aspect of White Two for laughs, there is a lot of horrifying aspects about it. 
Like, they, do, they, they don't shirk away from the whole, this child has been brainwashed. But they do play some things for laughs, like, oh, hey, Lack 2 is replacing N in her mind. But then you're like, why is N in her mind in the first place? This is kind of creepy. Well, I don't know if Y2 herself was brainwashed. Like, I think some plasma members were brainwashed, but well, I don't brainwashed think Y2 herself was brainwashed. I think she just genuinely was naive and believed in the cause. That's what I'm talking. That's what I'm talking about in terms of brainwashing, as mm-hmm. in like the term that the CIA would use to refer to it. Like, as in where an entire populace or group of people loves the state. They think the state can do no wrong. 1984 type situation where N is Big Brother for White 2. It's very interesting for a character, especially a character that's paired up with a secret agent trying to chase after her. I like that character dynamic. I've always loved that character dynamic. The dumb secret agent paired up with the person he's trying to catch. I love it when Lupin and Zenigata are forced to work together unknowingly. I love it. It's, it's fun. I love it when Conan and, Ma- and uh, Kaido Kid work together unknowingly. It's just good fun. Also, like to kind of acts like Kaido does in the classroom. <laughs> I, I really do have to, to read this now. Yeah, yeah. I, those are the vibes that I was getting from, from the version I read. I don't know, might be t- some of it might be toned down in the uh, Viz release, since he does stuff like pull-up girls' skirts occasionally. Which, I mean, like, yeah, in, in, in Magic Kaido and in this, it's, they're like, Oh, you're so, you're so funny! And then another kid does it, and they're like, You get the heck out of here, you <laughs> pervert! And this, obviously, that's not gonna fly. <laughs> Yeah, I, I read the, I just read the Wiz translation the other day, and uh, they, I think they took that out. Yeah, there's also an entire aspect of Hugh's character, who, by the way, is very, very interesting, and one of my, and quickly becoming one of my favorite rival characters in the manga, um, where all the girls think that he's weird, creepy, and perverted, and has no social skills, when he's just really, really overzealous, and kind of the only person that knows what's going on, but doesn't really know how to express it. <laughs> yeah, he's way better than he is in the games, like, his, his obsession with getting back his sister's Porloin makes so much more sense because he actually is responsible for getting a cod in the first place in the manga. Yeah, the plot thickens in the manga at one point where Hugh fought. He doesn't actually have a. He's not named, not named after one of the games. He's just called Hugh, like he is in the games. Uh, Hugh finds a uh, finds a girl's pendant, which is White Two's, and he's going to return it to her. The pendant was something that White Two was given when they were escaping when they were escaping the battle between the Elite Four, Black, White. And the town, the various supporting characters, and Team Plasma. It's, it, was, it was a picture of Lord N to always keep in her heart. Aww. However, however, it also has a secret. It has a it has a record of every single operation Team Plasma <laughs> has um has ever done. And ca- when it comes to capturing a person's Pokemon illegally, not like where they convince somebody to capture Pokemon or something like that. It's, and she, she finds this when he's like, "Oh man, I got, I got to return this pendant to one of the girls in my class." I, he's a really nice kid. And then he's like, oh, hey, a memory card. Well, I'm, I'm sure this will help us figure out who this pendant belongs to. Let's see if there's any in, any files who point, who points to what this is. Oh, oh, <laughs> hey, that was the day my sister's Porloin was captured. Hey, oh, oh. <laughs> and so I love, like, in the list, like, when, it, you know, they have the date. He last but put the date where they liberate the Pokemon and what Pokemon they liberated and who the original traitor was. And for, like, Hugh's sister's Purloin, literally for the trainer description, they put Hugh's sibling. <laughs> yeah, that's in pretty much every translation that I found. So that's that's what they wrote the original one. They're like, well, we know this kid, but we don't know his sister. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he loudly announced his name and the Team Plasma grunts. That was their very first time doing anything ever. <laughs> we should write this so, down, So, of course, okay, they guys? just steal a bunch of Pokemon from little kids. <laughs> oh, my God. 
So then, like, the next day at school, he's yelling at all the girls in class and staring them down, and they're like, Teacher Charon, Hugh's looking at my boobs. It's creepy. <laughs> and he's like, No! One of you took my sister's parlor, and you jerks! You ruined my sister's life! <laughs> and it, it makes sense, and you really feel for the character, but it's also kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to see how Viz handles that. Yeah. Another character I really feel for in the X and Y arc is X himself, because he is a, you know, depressed shut-in who, you know, he's just in his bed and, like, covers himself with a blanket and, like, like is in a fetal he's position. He's a like, Hey, yo, yeah. see? And I'm, like, I'm reading X and Y and I'm like, yeah, dude, I get you. <laughs> I've been there. I, I really like X. Like, Ruby's my favorite, followed by Yellow, mm-hmm. but X is right up there. And, yeah, I mean... I don't think I'm really that introverted, but, like, yeah, I get you, man. I get you. Yeah. He's really easy to, uh, understand. Yeah. And it's very different from most of the characters that they've been putting out who are more brash. All the male characters have been very brash in their own way, and this one, this this guy's, he's an introvert. Yeah, Yeah, he's like, I can't be bothered. I I don't want to do this. And I I, I like when he actually is forced to battle, and he kind of gets into it, and he's like, wait, no. I don't want to do this. <laughs> They're like, oh, we almost had him back. And he's like, sorry, whatever. I'm just going to ride on he's this Eeyore bike. Eeyore the Pokemon trainer. <laughs> he is! <laughs> the best one. Yeah. This arc gets brutal. It's it's six volumes. It, it will, so mm-hmm. it'll be 12 mini volumes. And like, yeah. like I said earlier, I, I just finished up the last one. There's a scene. First of all, like, I got the Tonko for the last Japanese release, the, the volume six. Like, I, I read it and I was like, wait, is this the end? Huh. Uh, okay. It felt like it kind of wrapped up kind of fast. But there's a, a scene and I was just like, can we, I mean, we market this at little kids. Like, could we actually use this? Like, I don't want to spoil what happens. Oh, man. But oh, I was boy. just like, this is kind of really violent. And they imply that everything's okay. Like, at mm-hmm. the very end. But, like, there's no way. There's no way everything's okay. There's oh, permanent man. damage. You cannot tell me otherwise. Unless Arceus comes up and is like, Yes, my children, thou shall be healed. Or something, you know, like... <laughs> or Celebi turns back time and everyone's alive yeah. again. Hey, that happened <laughs> three times! Yeah. Three times! <laughs> but it's, it's pretty crazy. And... and I told my editor, I was like, wow, this this is a pretty brutal volume for, for Pokemon. She's like, yeah, I feel like we should censor it because it's so dark. But you can't censor it. It's like a big battle. No. <laughs> oh, boy. I am looking forward to this. My favorite thing about the manga uh, is that since, since they started back when Pokemon was first finding its ground and wasn't a big thing. They right off the bat got permission to do whatever the heck they wanted because Satoshi Tajiri's like, yep, this is what I wanted from from the anime. This is what I envisioned the game's world to be. You guys are golden. So they're allowed to experiment with whatever the heck they want. But see, the thing about that is that Pokemon International companies have very, 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 very strict license, uh, like licensing agreements. So no Pokemon merchandise can be found that it depicts humans eating meat. Because that would imply that somewhere in the Pokemon world, one, there's cows, or two, people are eating Pokemon. Even though, like, there's a bunch of Japanese advertisements with Ash eating hot dogs. Well, canonically, 
People do eat slowpoke tails. Yep. In yeah. fact, in the... and that, yeah, that's canon. People eat slowpoke tails. That's Pokemon International. You've already failed your own canon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how you're gonna work around in Sun and Moon. Uh, Team Galactic Grunt is like eating a slowpoke tail. You see him eating it. It's like we'll make it like <laughs> corn or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, there's all sorts of stuff that Pokemon Adventures just pulls off that would you, you never see in any other kind of merchandise. Because I think. I'm not sure. Diamond and Pearl threw a big hole in my little theory that they're attempting to grow up with their reader base and audience. Unlike because you know the games and anime obviously weren't. Yeah. That was a, that's a major criticism that people have of Pokemon. And well, I don't exactly think that Pokemon should be darker and edgier. They really should try to at least grow up some of the storylines a little bit. Sun and Moon was kind of a step in the right direction, but it still boiled down to the same canned speech that is has been in every game since Red. And the Ultra Beast storyline had the was touted as Pokemon growing up with a huge sci- sci-fi opera about parallel dimensions. The universe you may know is not your own. What? We The Battle Frontier doesn't exist, but here's Annabelle. You look her's back. What's going on? People are dying. This is a thing that's happening, and that's just all that happens off screen, and it just boils down to running around in a field and catching an ultra beast occasionally. I got so bored of that, so I was watching something at the same time, and I'm like, this is a better storyline. I think it was uh, an old Doctor Who episode from the 60s. Don't remember what, but yeah, the manga at least is seems to be attempting to grow up. Sometimes. It skips a few arcs occasionally, but they seem to be trying to grow up. And even their moral messages in uh, Diamond, Pearl, and Platinum were very sophisticated insights as to how friendships work. Yeah. And as an adult myself with adult relationships, kind of, sort of, yes, that is how friendships work. I can, I can relate to these children's friendships as an adult. I can relate to that feeling of loneliness and sadness when, when some, all my friends are gone. They've taken different paths. But we'll see each other again, but it still sucks. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, in X and Y, I, it, this is at the, the very end. So, I, again, I'm not going to spoil it, but even after that, oh, maybe we should censor this. I don't think we can censor this moment. Mm-hmm. There's this whole, like, moral dilemma at the very end. And it's like, this is kind of complex for what you would think for a Pokemon series. I mean, not necessarily for Pokemon Adventures, because they've had more complex storylines, but it's very much like, I remember reading the script and being like, what? They, did they actually say that? Is this what they're implying? Oh, Dang! Oh it's, I'm excited now. It's, it's pretty crazy. It's. I think it's well done. I, I think it feels to me like X and Y gets rushed towards the end. Yeah. Well, certainly, because one, the games didn't sell well. Two, Pokemon was going through a lot of rush development stuff at, at the time, and Pokemon Adventures was also putting out three mangas at the yeah. same time. Yeah! yeah. But, <laughs> but I think the last maybe 40 pages are pretty... Mm-hmm. They do it really well, I think. It, it's a good wrap-up. Awesome. I would hope so, especially since I... I know that the uh, game that the uh, writers have at least some insight as to how the the development cycle of the games, as in a in one uh, Fire Red Leaf Green album, the artist who had recently converted to the Church of Pokemon, <laughs> even though he only joined the manga just to he, he wanted to draw ka- kaiju manga, but he was never able to, and he's like, okay, this is a good compromise. <laughs> oh boy, he converted. <laughs> he was like, oh my gosh, my favorite region is finally getting a remake. I'm not supposed to tell you this, but I'm going to. <laughs> Obviously referring to Heart Gold and Soul Silver. 
where was I going with this? Maybe they expected to have more time to develop the characters because they expected a third version. Maybe. Of, yeah. uh, obviously there was one in development because there, um, there's so many beta features of X and Y that have never been used, but then are fully fleshed out in Sun and Moon. You're like, well, then why are these in here? Yeah. Like certain megastones for certain Pokemon, certain references to z different Zygarde forms. Zygarde itself, <laughs> it's incomplete. The games are incomplete. The story's incomplete. They did the best they could. <laughs> I was, oh, by the way, do you have any insight as to how much control the Pokemon has over the uh, manga itself? Like, the writing process, not like... But, and your translations. I mean, we've, we've heard a bit about that, but I've always wondered how much, like, how much brand control they exact over it. You know, I don't know, sorry. I, I'm very curious, though, because, because some of the stuff that it seems like Adventures gets away with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And maybe it's just because I'm used to Pokemon Company International being a little tighter with their restrictions. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I mean like, like that Pokemon X, X and Y volume, like, what? First off, a main yeah. character with depression. Yeah! That's a big thing! Yeah! <laughs> That's not even something you find in most shonen manga. That's a, this is a Kodomo! Yeah. yeah, and he's the main character! Like, it'd be one thing if it was like, well, here's this kid on the sideline. He's got depression. Mm -hmm. But here's why. And she's got her, you know, her stuff together. But no, she's <laughs> the main focus! And, like, they make it very, very clear from the outset, um, the one interview on Anime News Network and all the chapter blurbs, that they're supposed to, at least, make the characters relatable as the characters in the games are, like, because you're projecting yourself onto the protagonist, but, but also, like, give them their own personalities. So, <laughs> that's a big, big step. Yeah. I love Pokemon Adventures because it's a Kodomo manga and it's manages to be more mature than most shonen that I read. <laughs> step up your game, shonen! <laughs> yeah. Character, subtle character arcs? What? We can't have those. Let's just have them power up again! <laughs> and then have them fight them! I mean, okay, I know not all of them are like this, but I do like a lot of shonen manga, like, like Yu Yu Hakusho. I love, um, I, I love Shaman King. I love Ranma. I love, um, One Piece. Is, it's got flaws. But yeah. my god, do I love One Piece? Even when they try to have, like, small character arcs, they do tend to boil down to, I'm going to power up, yeah. and then I'm going to hit a thing. But then Pokemon Adventures is, like, daddy issues, <laughs> um, uh, moral dilemmas, being, uh, being lost in unfamiliar territory, being second best. Characters being called out for something that would norm that would be okay in most manga, but isn't okay here because this is slightly like real life occasionally, mm -hmm. and people are sort of portrayed like having realistic emotions. It's interesting to me, especially since it hasn't graduated to Shonen. It's still Kodomo. It's still running in kids' magazines. It's not meant for young adults. It's not go it it's not going the JoJo route of. This is originally Shonen, but we're going to graduate the same. It's, it's kids. Yeah, I do love how Pokemon Adventures isn't afraid to tackle challenging subject matter and mature teams and have its characters mature over time as well. I think that's like one of the most satisfying things about the Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire arc is that the uh, focus of the arc, I think the central core relationship of it is like Ruby and Sapphire kind of coming to terms like with their romantic 
feelings with each other and like kind of kind of like going past the awkward stage and just kind of like embracing like how they feel about each other oh. and you know kind of relearning to trust each other again after some misunderstandings uh, there is some romantic drama shenanigans in there but you know been, that hasn't been tackled yet by pokemon adventures from what i've seen right and it's Appropriate to do it with Ruby and Sapphire since they are pretty much the only like couple in the series. So it's a really sweet arc. Uh, Ruby does get the lion's share of focus again Bailey. over Sapphire, which is a shame, but you know, it's still very good development. And I really like Xenia as a anti-villain. I mean, she has good intentions, but she acts in such a villainous way. I don't want to spoil this arc. Oh, it's an Ozymandias. But I love this, I love the moment when Xenia is like, confronts Rayquaza and like, tells it, okay, Rayquaza, now you're going to listen to me and you're going to team up with me because that is my destiny. And Rayquaza is like, Rayquaza stabs Xenia through the stomach with its tail. And it's like, (laughs) and she coughs up blood and it's like, oh, yeah, that's so, I I remember when I read that first time, I was like, (laughs) Oh my god, I laughed because that was just so, the timing of that was so appropriate because Zinnia was like all caught up and it's like, she thinks like she's, she's got everything in control and thinks she's gonna make Rayquaza listen to her and she, she is the, she is the one who's going to like save the day and Rayquaza's like, nah, screw you, I don't care, I'm not gonna listen to you. A nice little combination of Ozymandias' character arc and Rorschach's character arc in the Watchmen comics. <laughs> Except instead of Dr. Manhattan exploding him, it's the Dragon God stabbing you in the stomach. Good job. Also, no squids. Also, don't, I still, I don't want to spoil too much, but Giovanni makes a return in this arc, and uh, there's some follow up to things that get set up in Fire Red and Leaf Green that weren't fully explored before. Finally. With the Oxus. So, that was really cool to finally see resolve as well. Especially since Hoenn's the only place with an actual space center. Yeah. (laughs) And that's a that's a major plot point in the arc too, so that's it's really cool. Mm. And so finally, uh, we've come to the final arc of Pokemon Adventures, the current one, uh, Pokemon Sun and Moon, which only has a few chapters out. It just started like uh, last September or something, but it so far it's been pretty fun. I like Sun and Moon as characters. They also have interesting professions. Sun is a courier. He you know, is responsible just for transporting things. And Moon is a pharmacist, and I'm pretty sure she is in some way related to the Berlitz family, because the Berlitz family were doctors. She's she a has pharmacist. the same eyes. And, oh, she, that's and cool. you know, she has wrote, she yeah. was entrusted with Rotom. And you know, the only Rotom we know it belongs to Diamond. So I feel like there's connection there. So yeah, I think it's shaping up to be really cool too. So, I'm looking forward to seeing that come out officially over here. Shout out to Illuminate Scanlations for having some pretty clean scans of everything. You're doing a good job, guys. Congratulations. You're not terrible. (laughs) Manga Mavericks does not support piracy. We do not support piracy, but for right now, if you if you, want, if you want to like get a taste for this kind of thing before Viz gets their grubby little hands, I'm kidding. <laughs> support I, the official I love. Release. Please support the official release. Viz does some good stuff, even if, and anything bad that happens is usually because Pokemon International is awful. They're not awful. They're not awful. They're just trying to make things uh good for children. Yeah, yeah. They're trying not to cause controversy. I understand that. Uh, I'm going off of a what a former license licensor for a Pokemon Company International said, but they got some intro. They're they're very very detailed as to how these things work. Like, so 
you can blame their excessively detailed no loopholes thing that they have for America because you know it's America. Tomodachi life was a controversy for a while. Heck, did Pokemon still a con- did Pokemon Sun and Moon cause a controversy with something? It wrong? probably did. Uh, Somebody's gonna find something to be upset with. Yeah, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, people abandoned the whole Pokemon's evil thing when the, when the Pope came out and said, Hey! Shut up! <laughs> it teaches good moral messages! Go away! <laughs> so I hadn't been in that. Um, then it just kind of waned in popularity for a while, so nobody cared. Oh, well, people got mad about the Gotta Catch em All tagline, brainwashing children into buying all the products. And as a person who buys every Pokemon product, no matter what it is, I say that's wrong! <laughs> I have Pokemon Channel, please help me! <laughs> <laughs> but it, support the official release. But you can read this stuff while it's coming out. Because it's interesting right now. Uh, something I did with Sun and Moon was I was like, hey, you know what? I'm going to like consume every single piece of media while I'm playing the games. That's kind of what got me back into the anime a little bit again. Because it's always fun to like compare your experiences with this to how their media is portraying it. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> go ham, my children. <laughs> <laughs> but if you don't buy the official release, I'll track you down. Yeah. You know who you are. <laughs> I'll give you a hug. Support her so she can eat. Please. Yes, I'm so please. hungry. I'm eating my Pokemon, my Slowpoke tail. Oh no! No! Poor oh, Slowpoke. Oh no! Hey, that girl back. <laughs> Eventually, just just give it fifteen years. My, one of my favorite parts of the Heart Gold Soul Silver arc was they took a minor character from Fire Red and Leaf Green, an admin that broke away from Giovanni to take power, and they did everything that Team Rocket didn't do in Gold and Silver in the span of a month. <laughs> like, it, like you know what they do in the uh, so they do what they do in the games. Like they take over the media, they start kidnapping a bunch of stuff, uh, stuff and things happens just just like it does in the games. But, you know, it never happened to the manga because Team Rocket was a bunch of incompetents and they wanted to try out this new Mask of Ice guy. And then they kind of get prom- then, then the guy promptly gets kicked in by the new admins who, one, are loyal to Giovanni, two, are absolutely deranged, and three, want the power of the gods! <laughs> it's almost comic booky, but it's Pokemon, so it's okay. I like stories like that anyways because I read Grant Morrison on. I read Grant Morrison stuff. <laughs> Shout out to DC Comics for screwing over the Batman Incorporated arc. I hate you even if the new 52 had created All-Star Western. <laughs> and, oh gosh, I think I think a certain character likes Pokemon now. I can't remember who. <laughs> I know Marvel made it canon that a character likes Pokemon and also that Star-Lord's ship is obsessed with the Aquabats to the point where him and... Where, Star-Lord ship and Star-Lord uh, start singing super rad. Aw, oh, man. I hope they do that in the new Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Oh, please. Please, because, like, that's the only good thing Brian Michael Bendis has done to the Guardians of the Galaxy in years. I mean, he's he's the person that says that Rocket Raccoon can't be a raccoon. What? Or refer to him. Yeah. What? Yeah, so this guy called Brian Michael Bendis, he wrote uh, the Ultimate Spider-Man comics, which are really, really good. Then he got a full head and started making a bunch of changes to all the books that he... He became head of Marvel. And the only good change he's ever made is that Star-Lord and his ship are Aquabats fans. Otherwise, it's stuff like, okay, so Rocket Raccoon, even though he's from a planet that served as an, uh, as an ancient insane asylum where the curators were animals and... His friends were all animals. He used to be, and he actually is a, he's actually not my creation at all. And he's actually the creation of this very talented man called Bill Mantlo, who created Rom Space Knight and Micronauts. I'm gonna make him an angry cigar chomping person who doesn't like being called a raccoon and is angry all the time. 
I'm a writer. Uh, okay. It's like, it's like Pokemon Adventures is what happens when the executives don't meddle in your products. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, some American industries could take a look at that. Oh, come on, Pasha. <laughs> and you know what? Maybe people can have character arcs. <laughs> and and their stories can end, kind of, but they can still be recurring characters, and you can revisit them and give them new character arcs instead of retreading the same things over and over and over again, or just killing them off for shock value. Yeah, you know, Pokemon Adventures, <laughs> I think, works in a way that I think I wish a lot of superhero comics kind of work, in that you have, like... A, a character that goes through his own story, but it, but like his main story kind of ends, but he still keeps growing as a character, but he just doesn't become the focus, uh, the main focus, and a new protagonist kind of comes up. Mm-hmm. And it's the kind of like the appeal I love with JoJo's is that, you know, you have one protagonist, he does a story, and then you get another protagonist who continues the story. But, like, the other protagonist might still be around and still continues growing. And, like, other characters might come back and, like, continue their stories. But I really like that about Pokemon Adventures. Is that, you know, it's structured in a way that, like, you get a satisfying story arc and a satisfying character arc in just a couple volumes. But the character isn't necessarily gone after that story arc. And they can they can come back and continue growing. But you get something new and fresh, like, with the next story arc. It's not the same thing. Yeah. It's not the same characters. And the series keeps changing and evolving and growing with its audience. And Kusaka has said that now he writes the story nowadays with his older audience in mind because he knows that they've grown up reading the manga. And, you know, they're in their 20s, 30s now and... You know, they're adults now, and, like, he wants to write in stuff they can still appreciate and enjoy. And I really appreciate that about the manga a lot. I just read the majority of Pokemon Adventures last year, and it reminded me just why I love Pokemon so much. It brought me to the to what I how I felt about it as a kid again, but at the same time, there was just so much more about it that I could appreciate because I was an adult in terms of some of the themes and character arcs. And that's something very special. Like, that I kind of don't get with a lot of the things I loved as a kid. Like, they don't, it doesn't feel like they really have grown up with me. But Pokemon Adventures is something that has. If, if I can rant about the mainstream geek media <laughs> for a second, I'm Alex Jones! <laughs> um, so, one of the things I love, whenever people start talking about Pokemon Adventures, when it's, like, referenced in news articles and stuff, they're like, oh man... Guys, have you seen this? This extremely dark and scary Pokemon manga. This ain't your daddy's Pokemon. Look, this Arbok gets cut in half. And all they reference is events from the red, blue, and green arcs. Which, it really makes me angry, because... Um, so I'm a person that really, really enjoys legacy and the idea of characters growing up with you. Very, very few pieces of media actually, like, curate a sense of legacy and are both simultaneously for younger audiences, but also respecting older audiences at the same time. Pokemon Adventures, it was very, very much a kid's manga at the beginning, and you're kind of throwing away that whole sense of legacy and just going after the idea of shock value for being grown up. Yes, sure, Narbok gets cut in half. It, it, It gets better, though. But what about, like, the character interactions between... What about when Crystal loses all hope in herself when she fails to capture a Pokemon after, you know, spending... After, you know, being the best at everything for a while. What about Ruby's relationship with his father? It's things get more dark and complex as you grow up. Even the Diamond Pearl Platinum arc, even though it's obviously, yes, more for kids, 
there's still a lot that adults can appreciate about it, and there's enough dark undertones, and it treats the audience like they're smart people, which is great. Pokemon Adventures shouldn't get the kind of... Uh, shouldn't be touted as the darker, obscure piece of the Pokemon franchise that Game Freak... Oh, no, Nintendo, because nobody cares about Game Freak and the, um, the Moonbeam Media doesn't want you to know about. They should maybe tout it as, like, you know, side of the... kind of an... Into, like, it's more intellectually mature. It's something for people who may have gotten bored of the franchise and want to be reminded of, you know, why they like it. A little childlike sense of wonder is mixed in with things that you as a person can relate to. Like, you know, when you're a kid, the world is big and vast and everything seems like a little bit of an adventure to you. And when you're an adult, that kind of isn't exactly the same thing and your world becomes a lot narrower and your experiences are more your adventures are more based off of your interactions with other people. And that Pokemon Adventures has both of that. It's for everybody. And uh, the whole violence makes people, makes things grown up kind of a, it's a mentality that I wish would die. It's been around since the 90s. It's permeated comic books everywhere in America. And it's, it's the idea that violence and shock value is grown up. It's not. It's not. If you're going to write a grown-up character arc, if you're going to write like a grown-up thing, like, Let's let's see things that are meant for adults that don't have much gore, if any, at all. Let's see, uh, Starman by James Robinson's about an antique dealer coming to terms with a with a legacy that he inherited that he didn't want and exploring hit, um, and and uh, um, becoming a better person through his experiences as a um, as a superhero that he taking a, um with a job thrust upon him that he doesn't want to take. That's cool. It's also one of my favorites because it actually ends. <laughs> Starman, spoilers, moves to San Francisco at the end with his wife and kid. Hasn't even been killed off yet in an event. Wow! What? Man! Ho! You see, that's what happens when your creators own characters. However, the people that he left in charge of uh, Opal City, let's see what happened to them. Um, let's see. Uh, the elongated man uh, and his wife, Sue Dibney. Uh, Sue Dibney was, um, uh, some bad things happened to her that I probably can't say on an all ages podcast. Oh, this is like I said, an all ages. Okay, fine. She was uh, she was raped, cut up, and put in a refrigerator. Woman in refrigerator. Woman, that's where the yeah, woman in refrigerators it. comes from. Now you know identity crisis. If you think it's good, you suck. Let's see. Uh, let's see. Uh, Black Hawk and the Phantom Lady. Uh, they were brutally murdered off panel. By Deathstroke, because, you know, that's what happens. And the only people left in charge were people that DC kind of forgot about, being the Shade and the O'Dares, because one's a villain from the Golden Age, who cares about him? And the other one's a... They're, they're, they're not superheroes, they're cops! Who cares about cops? Ha! Ha! Yeah. <laughs> I hate media, and I wish it was more like Pokemon Adventures, because it has a sense of history and legacy, and it's got good character interactions, and it's nice. <laughs> yes. It's nice. Thumbs it up. Pokemon Adventures, it manages to be mature without, like, trying too hard. Yes. Without losing its sense of humor and, like, it's it losing its target audience, which is children. It's the Japanese Justice Society of America. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. They were ruined in Earth 2. Forgot. <laughs> oh, thanks, DC. Jonathan, you really should start your own comic <laughs> I would love to. I just don't know enough. <laughs> like, you know, all this research I did for Pokemon Adventures, I mean, I can do that in a week. I'm going to be wrong about a lot of things. People will get mad at me. You know how Linkara says that he doesn't know everything? He knows so much more than I do. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Although I have corrected him at a panel about the Justice Society. Oh yeah, I think I was there for you that. You were there for that. That, <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> 
It, mm-hmm. If you don't know what that is, my children, I'm going to quote some Roy Thomas here. You have no sense of history, and this podcast isn't for you. <laughs> 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 but, wow. Um, I'm kidding. It took, it I'm took kidding. a I love long you all. time, but we, we talked about all the Pokemon adventures. Yeah. We did it. Huzzah! Remember, uh, kids, experimentation and legacy is good for you. It makes this. Now, I want to wrap up the show quickly, but we did get some questions, and we only got three, and I, I feel bad for not answering them. That's... Um, they might be gone. Oh, no. What? <laughs> they, they might have left already, but let's answer these questions. Yeah, so uh, these are from the One Dream Adventure Reborn forums. Uh, we got a question from Wensley Dale Cheddar, who asked, Give every Pokedex holder plus Wally a quirk from My Hero Academia. Um, we're not going to do that because there are 20 plus Pokedex holders, uh, but we'll, we'll give Wally a quirk and we'll give maybe two others a quirk. You guys can decide which character. Let's see. Uh, uh, Gold would probably have an ability that involves super bullshit. As it like, uh, it, it like probably something that involves a silver tongue lie, uh, lying to others or maybe a, maybe something that allows him to change his appearance at will. Since he's a shifty... Oh, she have to- he'd have Toga's uh, shape-shifting power then. Yeah, yeah, he would. Yeah, that, that, that core could probably fit him. Blue would probably be something along the lines of invisibility or super speed. Just something that allows her to just run around but make it personal. Like, like invisibility you can turn on and off. Like, she wants you to know that she's doing what she's doing, but you can't catch her. Good luck. Yeah. Actually, no, so better yet, intangibility. Yeah, intangibility. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, intangibility. You can't touch her, but she can touch you. Oh, yeah, Mirio's power would mm-hmm. be great for that. Oh, gosh, that'd be perfect. Um, Ru- see, Ruby uh, needs uh, something that, like, refracts light so it makes, like, sparkles around him. Yes! Well, I like Gosh's power, but, uh, he's not an MHA character. Um, well, we can just make up quirks and superpowers, honestly. Yeah, but, uh, like, so, Wally. What do we get for Wally? Uh, Wally tries his best, but is always shoved to the side. Let's give him one for all. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. That is perfect, actually. Wally deserves it. I mean, he breaks they're... himself as he tries his hardest. <laughs> for his exactly! Father! <laughs> oh, Wally! Oh, we love you, God. Wally. <laughs> he just wanted to be loved. <laughs> oh. I love it though. Let's see. Uh, well, actually, why don't we move on to yeah. the next question uh, from June Maxwell, who has two questions, and he has one relating to Cheddar's question a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we could give a Pokemon any known quirk from My Hero Academia. What Pokemon would we pick, and what would we give? I would give a Braxton a quirk, and the quirk would be being me, because I want to be a Braxton. They're so cute and adorable and fluffy, and I love them. I love magical girls, because I want to be one, but I can't. I, I feel you, buddy. I'm not short enough or pretty enough. Yeah. <sighs> It's okay. Follow your dreams. <laughs> Follow your dreams. <laughs> oh yeah. No, actually, seriously though, um, you know, poke. That's kind of a hard question because Pokemon obviously have incredible abilities. You know, something something that really stuck with me once when I read uh, uh the manga kind of touches on this. Um, uh, Mr. Mime in in early Pokédex entries and um in early like Pokemon promotional materials that I read, like the Ultimate Super Collector's Edition Guide to Pokemon released by Scholastic, all featuring all 151 Pokemon. Wow! Plus a sneak peek at a few new Pokemon coming soon in the gold and silver games. It mentioned that Mr. Mimes, using its hands, can make illusions, making the opponent see whatever it wants. And when the opponent thinks that the object is real, it becomes real. That's not something that's touched on a lot. If ever. It's touched on a little bit in the manga by Sabrina, um, by Sabrina during the, her fight with Bugsy, making a friggin' house. Yeah, the invisible house! <laughs> 
Yeah, and the house becomes visible to them once they realize once they uh, once they think that it's a house and like that they can't get out. I think that'd be a really cool quirk for Mr. Mime to have. Yeah, I was thinking, uh, not a particular Pokemon, but really any ghost type Pokemon. Maybe like mm-hmm. something like Gengar having Tokoyami is his quirk, the Dark Shadow. Yeah, Ooh, yeah, it even works with Pokemon moves. That's Shadow Sneak right there. Yeah. And I was thinking of giving Snorlax Fat Gun's quirk of like he can, yeah! ab- ab- <laughs> he can absorb everything into his body. That's so, so cool. <laughs> That's um, I want Gorluck to have something because I because the idea of a spirit golem is super cool to me, but I don't know what kind of quirk it would have. I just want shout out to Gorluck for being the most useless but coolest concept for a Pokemon. <laughs> You go, keeping that Jewish tradition of golems, because those are really cool in fiction, especially when they're referenced as, like, having the souls of people inside them. I love that, but golems aren't used enough, honestly. But, yeah. What's the next question? Well, the final question from Gene Maxwell is, which main protagonist from the Pokemon manga or anime would be most likely to go villain, and or which one would make the best or most entertaining villain turn? Crystal. Crystal as a villain. Crystal as a villain. Her hunt for knowledge and to be everybody's mom consumes her to the point where she goes, uh, where she does, where she pulls a squadron supreme and becomes a fascist dictator. <laughs> making sure that everybody gets a good night's sleep, everybody treats everybody nicely, and if they don't, she's going to kick them into next week. Alternatively, I don't want to make a bike joke with Misty. Everybody's already made a bike joke with Misty. I'd love to do something with Brock and Something with James, who's already a villain, if he's going to become, you know, an actual villain, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that every, every, I'm pretty sure that all, if he actually managed to, you know, take over the world, it would probably involve making everybody be absolutely fabulous, everybody making sure to give every dog Pokemon a pet on Aww. the head if they see one. This is required by law. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think Emerald would be a good villain. He'd go around and he'd beat people, and they'd be like, why'd you do that? He's like, I'm just proving myself. I don't need... And he'd just, he'd just like, he'd, he'd walk down, he'd, like, he'd, like, grab, like, a Pokemon from the bush, and he's like, there we go, I'm fine with this one. And they're like, what? And he'd just, like, just show you I can't. And then, like, no. like he'd win, and, like, they'd be like, what, what do you want? He's like, I just showed you. Bye. <laughs> it'd be, like, a weird he reminds me of Clarion the Witch Boy. Forget any interpretation that, you, that you've heard of. We're talking about Jack Kirby's uh, The Demon's interpretation of Clarion and Grant Morrison's interpretation of Seven, uh, Seven Soldiers of Victory. Like, a really curious person that's out to prove themselves and out to make a lot of mischief. Uh, so, you know, so Clarion, like, just kind of appears in his Uncle Jason's kitchen, claiming to be his nephew, and, eat, and eats all his food. <laughs> I think that's something Emerald would try to do, except, you know, he, wa- he walks into your life, claims that you are the one that he, that he will take down next, and he kind of beats you the heck up. <laughs> it's kind of like that. He doesn't even realize that he's kind of like a villain. He's just kind of walking around, beating people up, causing everybody pain. Yeah, you can't hate him, because he's not entirely wrong, and he's not entirely malicious, but there's just that little bit there. <laughs> like, if Todd wasn't around to keep him in line, I'm sure that's what the Emerald Arc would have been like. <laughs> Todd is Jason Blood. <laughs> except except you can't transform into a rhyming demon. Who doesn't rhyme, actually, in Grant Morrison and Jack Kirby's interpretation? But... Still a demon. Love him. <laughs> I think Red would be, like, an interesting villain turn. Yeah. Like, his, 
his desire to be the best Pokemon battler like makes him take like a he takes it too far and he does it to the point where he's like hurting the people around him and he pursues a path of pure power Mm -hmm. and makes him kind of become the like Giovanni in a way. Yeah, yeah, him and Giovanni would be an interesting comparison yeah. to make since they seem to be they seem to walk the same path a lot. Sometimes mm. literally. I mean it's 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 kinda cliche to be like, oh hey, the the hero's greatest villain we're not so different, you and I. Mm-hmm. And if Doctor Who does another story <laughs> where the da- where the Daleks are like, you would make a good Dalek. You all need to leave. I hate all of you. Even Big Finish realizes that that's a bad idea. <laughs> One of my favorite stories is where, where Davros is dying and the Daleks are looking for a new emperor because they don't think that Davros can lead them anymore. And Davros is like, Doctor, please help me. Dogs don't even consider the Doctor. They consider they consider one of his companions. And they shove him into the Dalek Emperor shell. Like, yes. Yes, thank you. Th- thank you. The Doctor, I hate all of you. <laughs> but yeah, with Red and Giovanni, it actually kind of makes sense. It's subtle enough, and it hasn't been expounded upon enough that that could actually work. And mm-hmm. nobody's beaten that. I- and if- as long as they don't handle it, like, as in, you would make a good boss for Team Rocket. Just yeah. make it something accidental. Yeah. Something that he never intended to have. Nothing too obvious. Like, he doesn't even realize he's become a villain until, like, he kind of takes a good hard look at what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Also, the Eighth Doctor is the best Doctor. Okay. <laughs> Movie doesn't exist. Eighth Doctor, best Doctor. Big finish. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the last question we got here? Well, that's the la- that was that's the last, last question. question. We're All done. Right. We are finally done. Oh, by the way, podcast. in case you're wondering what, the, what our favorite part is, it's Ruby and Sapphire. Ruby and Sapphire! Yeah, if you have a different opinion than us, that's fine. But you're also wrong. Yes. Mine's actually Diamond and Pearl. If you think that, well, then that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you're wrong. You're, you're wrong, but we'll accept your opinion. We still accept well, you. Well, we just, you're just wrong. One, Thank you one, for being so inclusive. So, someday, my son, uh, so, someday, you will join us in the sun, Kal-El. <laughs> okay. I'm not quoting Man of Steel. I'm quoting All-Star Superman. If, if you think I'm quoting Man of Steel, you'll need to leave. <laughs> I love that quote by Jor-El. But yes, we are done with this Pokemon Adventures podcast. This was a great podcast. Like we had some really energetic discussion. Really, we got really into it. And I want to thank Annalisa for coming on and joining our insanity. Thanks for having me. I'm always happy to talk Pokemon, especially Ruby and Sapphire. Yeah, I admire you because you're living the existence I wish to live. (laughs) I want to be involved in my favorite franchise. Just remember, kids, the most popular podcasts out there usually go on too long because the people in there have good chemistry and good energy, and they like messing around. For example, last podcast on the left, messing around and going over the long, that's a good thing. It's a good yes. thing in podcasts. It's what gives them character, so people out there can pretend that they have friends. It's like the appeal of Mystery Science Theater 3000. <laughs> this podcast is very definitely for people who... Have, ha- have read, read it. Pokemon Adventures. I mean, we kind of went we over make a lot of references, and we didn't. We really did a plot summary plot. of all black and white, and yeah, uh, but, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but for a lot of them, we didn't kind of go over like the actual plots where we just kind of talked about all the things we liked about it. But yeah, thank you for coming on, Annalisa. It's great talking to you again. Uh, where can the good people find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter. It's uh, K I T O U underscore Ace. That's Kaito Ace. Because Kaito Kid's awesome. Yeah! Um, that, that's pretty much where I am a lot. <laughs> oh, wait, I got, I got questions before we all leave. 
Okay, everybody, favorite Pokemon, favorite superhero, and hmm, let me think, let me think. Uh, favorite Pokemon generation. Uh, you can you can include spin-off games. So like Generation 1 will include pinball and trading card game and Generation 3 will include XD and Coliseum. But you have to explain why if you're going to use those as a all right, I'm going to go first. My favorite Pokemon's Braxton. Obviously, it's adorable. It's, it's, it's the best. It's cute. And I want to be it. It's adorable. I like the idea I like the idea of, of a channeling psychic powers through, like, a wand-type thing and passing it off as flashy magic because that's what Braxton seems to do. That's what the Pokemon company seems to be implying with it. It's super cool. My favorite superhero is, uh... Mm-hmm. Right, right now, it's probably The Spirit by Will Eisner. Great guy. And my favorite Pokemon generation is... It's it's split between Generation 3 and Generation 4. I mean, not a lot of people don't like Generation 4 because Diamond and Pearl are very slow games, but they have my favorite soundtrack of the series. Platinum is one of my favorite games. Heart Gold and Soul Silver is my favorite Pokemon games. Uh, but Generation 3 has XD, it has the, um, it has a bunch of weird connectivity stuff, like with e-reader cards, and with a, um, and like, with the Game Boy Player and everything else, and that's always really, really fun to mess around with, and of course it has the best game of our generation, um, I'm sure you all know the name, Pokemon Channel, greatest game of all time, in fact, <laughs> I would sacrifice my unborn child just to get a copy of this game, watching TV is just what I want to do when I'm playing games. It's like Hey You Pikachu without any gameplay. God bless. <laughs> okay, I guess I'll go next. My favorite Pokemon is Apom, I guess? I, I like Apom's design. It's got a great design. I love, it's, it takes Prehensile Tail to a new level. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> favorite superhero. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be a poser and say Spider-Man. Uh, That's actually pretty good, though. Yeah, I love Spider-Man. But, like, it's kind of a, it feels like an obvious answer. It's an obvious answer, but... I love Spider-Man. He's a great character. Got mm-hmm. great television shows, too. Yeah. And then, my favorite generation is <laughs> Generation 3, because I've played those games the most, and that's the generation I got, I was introduced to first. Yeah. And, uh, how about you, Annalisa? Uh, favorite Pokemon is Jolteon. Yes. Nice. It's, a, it's good. It, it's a spiky boy. It's <laughs> a spiky boy. I will cut my hand to give him pets. <laughs> Um, let's see. What's the next one? <laughs> the favorite Pokemon, favorite superhero, then favorite oh, generation. Superhero, then and then generation. Uh, superhero. All right. Well, going. If I could go to X Men, Gambit was always my favorite growing up. I love the idea and design of Gambit, even if it's very nineties. <laughs> yeah, it's very nineties, but loved him always. He but makes it work. I really like the um. The first four uh, graphic novels of the new Hawkeye. So Hawkeye and that is super great. So Mm -hmm. Gambit has some, uh, he's got some competition there. And for Pokemon Generation, I'd have to go old school and go with the first one because that's how I got into it. And and Jolteon did it so. Oh gosh, I love Generation 1 though. Um, I was talking about Generation 3's connectivity features. Generation 1, my gosh, you got a printer. You can plug your Pokemon game into a pack on the end of your N64 cartridge and battle in 3D with an announcer. What the hey? Glitching is really, really, really fun. And I know it's not like a technically a gameplay feature, but I don't care. It was fun. I spent 
hours doing that when I was a kid. This is your time, I should shush. <laughs> but j just remember, best way to experience Generation 1, go buy an N64, go buy a bunch of cartridges, go buy a link cable, go get yourself some friends. There you go. Oh wait, the last one's pretty hard. <laughs> Uh, if you want to support Annalise's work, subscribe to Weekly Shonen Jump, where she letters Black Clover and Robot Laser Beam. Mm -hmm. Great yeah. series. We yes. did a podcast on Black Clover. Yeah! And, uh, she also does World Trigger, which hopefully one day will make its return. One day. <sighs> also buy the box sets. Let Viz know that you like this format, because box sets are good. And they're pretty inexpensive, yeah, honestly. They're, they're very, very good deals, especially if you get them on, you know, like something like Amazon. Sometimes they'll go mm -hmm. on, like, some crazy sale. You can get, yeah, like, seven volumes for, like, 20 bucks. That's amazing. Even, even when they're not on sale, they're, on average, like, 33 bucks. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really inexpensive for a lot of manga. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of manga, good manga at that, with a very, with a very good translation. I remember when I was a scanlation boy. <laughs> it's okay, Jonathan. Everybody was there. Everybody. You reformed. But a literal Japanese translation with no localization is obviously the best way to understand the intentions of- No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not. Yes, buy them. Maybe someday there'll be another Ruby and Sapphire remake to make up for the botched one. And maybe she'll get put on the project. Yeah, mm -hmm. hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> also, so more than like three people I know can, you know, read Pokemon Adventures. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also, uh, join the unofficial Asama fan club if you're a fan of World Trigger too. Yes, yes. Talk to me on Twitter, and I will send you a fan club card. Yes, do awesome. it. I joined two years ago. I'm number fifty-five. Yeah. Been a proud member ever since. I haven't read it. I will eventually. It's I'll just time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but but I just started. I just started uh, watching every good Doctor Who episode chronologically. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> even on the second Doctor. Send help. <laughs> oh no. So, Jonathan, uh, yeah. where can the good people find you if they want to talk to you about comic books, Doctor Who, and Pokemon? Gosh, you know what? I, right now, I'm only on Facebook right now uh, as Jonathan LaSomething. Message me occasionally. I'll message you back. We can have some good times. I don't have anything set up right now. I've been playing around with the idea because I have a lot of free time on my hands right now. But if something happens in the future, just message me at Jonathan LaSomething on Facebook. And um, the URL, let me see. It's, a, it's got a very, very special URL. What is it? It's like facebook.com slash retro furry fanboy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. www.facebook.com slash retro furry fanboy. You'll know it's me. <laughs> yeah, you will. Message me. I'm I'm I, I'm bored and I have I have no friends except for the large amount of friends that are coming over to watch the new episode of Samurai Jack. Yeah. <laughs> and as for me, you can find me as Lum Ramayasha on a variety of places, but namely Twitter as at Lum Ramayasha and on Animation Revelation. As for the show, you can follow Manga Mavericks on Twitter at at Manga underscore Mavericks and on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com and on YouTube. Just search for Manga Mavericks. We need 100 subscribers to get that custom URL. So please subscribe, guys. And don't give in to the machine. Don't let Google win. Original content creators will prevail. Yes. Please support the show on all those avenues. Yeah, you can find us on allcomic.com. The show updates weekly with a variety of different shows. We've got our usual Manga Mavericks episodes. We've got the return of Manga Fights. We've got Movie Mavericks, where we talk about movies. And you got special episodes like this, where we just talk about you know, some series we just really like and want to make podcasts about. 
podcast about the JSA. <laughs> Maybe we could one day. But I could. But that about does it. This has been a special Pokemon Adventures retrospective. We hope you guys all enjoyed it. And we'll see you next time. Sayonara, guys. Sayonara, desune. <laughs> I'm done. I'm sorry. I'll never do that again. <laughs> all the memories.